Welcome to episode 5 of Realm and Ruin, a Warhammer podcast. I'm your host Matt, and of course with me is from across the ocean, or should I say from the depths of the ocean, that's probably more appropriate, <laughs> uh, is uh, High King Cameron. How Hello. you doing mate? Hello, apparently I'm first among the Sithai, the Awakened. Uh, <coughs> it's good to be here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Glad to have you here as always mate. Um, right, so today's episode, uh, we are going to start with our usual hobby stuff, what we've been working on, what we've been reading, what we've been buying, um, and then we're going to go into the news, see what's been going on. Um, it's not been a particularly massive news in the last couple of weeks, no. but we'll still go over the little bits we can talk about. Um, and then the mo- main bulk of the show is we're going to go through, you know it, the Ideneth Deepkin Battle Tome, which is going to take quite a while because there's quite a lot to go through. So be prepared for that. Um, and then we're going to wrap the show up with the discussion point where we're going to ask the question about uh, Lionel Johnson. Uh, would the heresy have happened if he had been made the War Master instead of Horus? Mm. Um, and then at the end, we'll finish with the usual sort of admin. And that'll be episode five. Yeah. So <sighs> let's go for it. <laughs> and apologies in advance. I feel like I've got a cold coming on. So if I sound a yeah. bit croaky and a bit... Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> Apologies in advance, everyone. <laughs> um, ah. Right, so yeah, let's start with the uh, hobby stuff. Cameron, what have you been working on the last few weeks, mate? Um, well, you remember how last episode I said I'd nearly gotten five extra Plague Marines finished? They were so close, they just needed yeah. basing and details. I have one of those five finished. I'm very impressed. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, Is that what you put on Twitter today? Yeah, yeah, just earlier today. It's just a Plague Marine with a bolter. Um it's been a busy couple of weeks. Things have been all over the place. The last week has been dedicated to God of War, so I've not been doing quite as much hobby. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what, there's other games and hobbies I know. out there? Um, it actually Shocking. really makes me want to um, do a Blades of Corn army for Age of Sigma, but paint all the Reavers in the Kratos scheme, so white with a red tattoo. <sighs> I think that'd be really cool. I'm, I'm pretty sure someone's that done sounds that awesome. before, maybe with the Shade Spire minis or something. But um, Probably. Yeah. But that's something. That's maybe a future project. I'll do a tiny little side thing with that. Who knows? But yes, uh, I'll be doing some more Death Guard stuff. As always, it's really what I'm focusing on right now. I picked up an old, but not that old, Great Unclean one. So the old sculpt, but it's in fine cast. You know, I saw it secondhand at a hobby shop. It was already based green with a green wash. I was like, you know, it's it's not that expensive, and I really do like that sculpt. So I picked it up. Uh, and I remember that I loved that sculpt because it's, it's really messy in like the perfectly old Nurgle way. Um, and also the person who modeled it put three of the new little plastic Nurglings on the front for like a little nice. added flavor, which was really nice. So, you know, uh, uh, sort of a slightly custom one. Uh, I'm almost done painting that up. I haven't actually put a most recent pickup, but I basically, I've been using the two brand new paints that came along with the Ion Deacon, the um, Ion Rack Skin, which is sort of a base light green color, and the Deepkin Flesh, which is a very pale, uh, sort of like pallid witch flesh, but greener. Yep. Uh, I dry brushed those of that sort of, it looked like a Gretchen green with an Athonian Camshade base. I'm not sure the exact provenance of the paints. And then did an Athonian Camshade wash of that. Looks as rotting flesh those are really good colors for nurgle uh and then i put a druji violet wash over the front because i wanted to mimic livo mortis which is uh for those not in the know who didn't do <laughs> two and a half years of forensics at university um 
when, which is probably quite a few. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, when someone dies, uh, blood pools in their skin on the bottom of where they've fallen. And so I decided I wanted my Nurgle demons to have that sort of the dead reanimated look where it looks like they've all been lying mm. face down in muck. So they've got these purple-ish, purple-green fronts. Um, and I just recently, just today, I got a couple bigger dry brushes over the weekend before, last week. Um, and I put a thinned down layer of Nurgle's rot, the slimy green technical paint all over it. So he's yep. kind of sticky and shiny looking now, which is really good. Um, so he's nearly done. Which is nice. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You're properly on the Nurgle train, aren't you? Oh, I, I love it so much. The models are all really great, and they're a ton of fun to do. Um, uh, last week, I talked about I picked up the Putrid Blight Kings box from Age of Sigma and hadn't done anything yep. with it yet. I have done a lot of things with it now. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was I was getting tired of waiting for the Noxious Blightbringer and Malignant Playcaster I ordered on eBay to show up, so I made uh, one of those each from the kit. Uh, the like, nice. Yeah. Uh, the playcaster is still sort of work in progress, but the Blightbringer is done. Um, because there's a great arm in that where he's carrying a giant bell on a stick, so perfect for that model. Um, I did a foul blight spawn, which uh also really great. They're the random two d six strength flamer weapon guys. And yep, I know. Yep, yep, yep. Those are great. Uh, and the last couple I've made, well, they're being made, I should say, into sort of just Chaos Lords, because I didn't want to get just, like, a regular Power Armor guy and say, this is the Chaos Lord, and he reflects the stats because he doesn't have Toughness 5 and he doesn't have Disgusting Resilient. <laughs> I want them to look good still. So, like... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the final thing I did was uh, I had to go down for a, another can of Corax White Spray because I used it up on another art project. Uh, related to teaching, uh, I just spray a bunch of Max White <laughs> oh, wow. and used up the last Corax White. I know, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, and while I was there getting the Corax White, I went, you know, um, Plague Monks, the the pestilent Skaven miniatures from Age of Sigma, they are cheap as chips. It's like fifty bucks for twenty of them. Uh, and I was thinking about getting some cultists because everything I see online is like, oh, you know, Plague Marines are all right, but you really want cultists for like running out to the sides and grabbing objectives and things. And I'm like, yeah, good I've, got a bu- yep. I've got a bunch of order guns left over from a Gene Stealer Neophyte kit and stuff, and a bunch of spare heads from that, and some from a Katishan Command Squad I got years ago, digging through my bits box for this. Uh, so I got <laughs> a box of the Plague Monks, and basically just not using the heads or the arms for the most part, using just the bodies, put a Gene Stealer Cult or a Katachan head on, and then Gene Stealer Cult or Katachan arms with weapons, uh, and they make really nice little uh, little Plague Cultists. Uh, someone on Reddit did point out that uh, I might be accused of abusing true line of sight. Uh, so I'm going to have to do like the lead. I'm going to do the leader up on like a little bit of cork or something just so he's the actual height of a cultist because these guys are really hunched over. Uh, <laughs> I was just like, oh, I actually didn't think of that. I'm like, yeah, I should do one up on like a little rock or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because they're they, like, they two do what I've seen height. of them. They look amazing. Yeah. You've done a yeah. really good job on them, and I think the people like on Twitter and on our Discord have really liked them as well. I think they yeah. you've done really well with them. They just they just they just work, don't they? I yeah, think they work all the really bits, well. You know, considering what you've put, how you put them together. <laughs> yeah, one of the guys on Twitter said they don't look that threatening. I'm like, yeah, they're not meant to look threatening. They're these little <laughs> mutated hunchback rat people running around <laughs> the feet of plague marines. <laughs> they're not meant to be scary. <laughs> no. 
Not like Nurglings. Nurglings aren't scary yeah. per se. They're just they're funny more than anything. Yeah, and these, what, they're just quirky. And that's what these are. After the FAQ. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> true, true story. Um, yeah. And um, with that, I read the INF Deepkin book, obviously. So we'll be discussing that later. Um, and I was talking about how I just started Fulgrim, the Horus Heresy book last show mm-hmm. i finished it like the day after my god that's such a good book i'm looking forward to talking about so that at good. some point bloody yep. hell what a what a gripping read like i tore through that <laughs> <laughs> it was fantastic um that was more or less me for the last couple of weeks i've mostly i've gotten one plague marine finished so i have three finished plague marines which means i only need to finish two more to have a squad of five um <laughs> yeah <laughs> slowly but surely slowly but surely yeah, sure. the nurgle way uh <laughs> yeah, keeping him happy. Yeah, I'll be getting there. Hopefully next week, uh, not next week, next fortnight, I can talk about more um, more finished playgrounds. They're, they're all so close, I just need to do the bases and stuff and they're done. Like, I'm just putting it off and like, no, I should do these other things. <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to move on to next once you feel you finish your death guard? <gasps> once I finish my death guard, oh god. That, that's looking well. further and further away. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'll ask you that in a bit, in a few more weeks. Then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. I've, I've got some some Age of Sigma Stormcast stuff that I'm planning to do for hmm. Heroes children. So we'll see how we do with that. I've oh got, yeah, of course. Yeah, I've got a test piece together for that that I quite like. So we'll see how that goes in the future. But for now, Nurgle it up uh, <laughs> for the foreseeable oh, yeah. future. Yeah. Uh, anyway. That, that was me talking about. I actually apparently did quite a lot of stuff because I talked for a fair bit. Mm. Um, on to you, Matt. Uh, I know mm. you've ha- you've also not done as much as you might have. Uh. No, I've. I'm, uh, well, I was going to say, unfortunately, I've been away, but obviously that's great because <laughs> I've had a nice little holiday break. Uh, well, mm. not from mo- from uh, painting and, and prepping, but it's, uh, the good thing is I've been able to do a lot of reading. Um, yeah. So yeah, in the last sort of week, I've been down by the coast, having a week away, um, which. I tied in nicely to uh, pick up the Deepkin Battle Tome at the mm-hmm, local mm-hmm. Uh, Games Workshop, which I had to do. So, uh, so, so I'm committed. I've been on holiday, and I've still gone out my way to buy the book so we can deliver this episode on time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and when I was there, obviously, I couldn't resist just buying that. You know, it had to be there. I was like, "Oh, what's what else can I get while I'm here?" Uh, unfortunately, it's a shame, really, because it was actually a, a, a Games Workshop that was missing quite a lot of stock. Um, um it yeah. was quite a smallish store. Um, but you know, it was well, well laid out. It was just didn't yeah. have as much as what I was hoping basically. Yeah. Um, so while I was there, I, uh, picked up a Redemptor Dreadnought, mm. the easy to build one yeah. purely just cause I didn't want to spend the full amount. You know, the, I mean, you're talking, I think 10 pounds difference between that and the oh, sort of yeah. normal, non yeah. easy to build version. So, <laughs> um, I picked him up and, uh, I put him together actually, mm. uh, yesterday yeah. And he is looking great. He's oh, yeah. he's he's actually a lot bigger than I thought he was. Which sort of yeah, I know one of the guys in in the Discord said <laughs> he he actually said he he looked smaller than he thought. But I'm, but you know, like I said, I did I put a, on our Discord. I put a, a picture of a normal Primaris Ramine and a yeah. uh, a normal Citadel paint pot. And he's yeah. he is big. And oh, if you see yeah. photos of him against the normal old school sort of dreadnought he's mm. like almost about not twice the size but not far off it he's huge oh, um yeah, really ridiculous. nice kit to put together <laughs> um really happy with it it was you know really easy to to do um not 
I'd say about a dozen or so pieces. Um, mm-hmm. I, I have actually glued him together okay. just a little yeah. bit, just to seal it in, just because so he's not moving around. I mean, in theory, the, the arms can carry on moving off and things yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot but, of possibility uh, no, so apparently it, with that kit. It is. Um, it's one of those where I, I felt a bit boring because I sort of went for the default <laughs> pose where, you know, the arms are down by the side and, and just, you know, facing straight forward. Mm. But, uh, I just think it'd be the best uh, way to have him. Uh, he's, like I said, it's a really nice, uh, miniature and I, and this actually was, can lead on to what I bought, um, last episode. Remember, I think last episode I said I yeah. picked up one of those mold line removers. Yes. Yes. Um, and this is sort of the first uh, miniature I've been able to properly use it on. And it's a really good tool. I was actually, it took me, I, I, what I recommend you do, if anyone's thinking of getting one, is try it on a sprue first. Don't, you know, don't just, don't just go straight. Because it's one of those where you can easily carve <laughs> bits of plastic out of your miniatures if you're not careful. It's getting the right angle of the blade, etc. Yeah. So, yeah. so get a sprue and, and try it on the side before, you know, just to, so you can get the knack of, mm. of doing it. But, it's yeah. been great because basically I've been able to cut it out. I've been then getting a hobby knife to you know chip away most of the you know the remaining sprue that's still on the particular piece, and then just use the mold line remover just to remove the the rest of it. It's a really good tool. I thoroughly mm. recommend it. Awesome. Um, so uh, yeah, I'm gonna like I said, I'm gonna hopefully prime the dreadnought tomorrow because the weather's a bit dodgy today. So yeah. <laughs> it should be a nice day tomorrow. So I'll go out and um, and prime him um i'm gonna paint him dark angels um because i'm really on a bit of a dark angels fix at the moment i've been reading up about them quite a lot and Mm. i just feel like i really want to uh try them so well when i was in games workshop picked up some of their paints so i've got uh, like caliban green and Mm. and a few of the highlighted ones um yeah what else have i got um oh yeah i've got talking to dark right yeah yeah, yeah, speaking of dark angels do you agree with me that their interrogator chaplain with power fist is one of the best 40k models Yes, absolutely. I well, that was that I, I. I think I put that on our Twitter recently because <laughs> yeah, I, I was yeah. just flicking through, and I, that's it. I said I was just amazed how I'd never seen this miniature. Mm. You know, when you this one completely bypassed me at some point, but the interrogator chaplain is an amazing looking miniature. Yeah, he just so looks proper badass. <laughs> he really does. So, um, unfortunately, the store didn't have him because like yeah. he was actually he was actually my the the miniature I wanted to get apart from uh, maybe yeah. getting a, the dreadnought. But you know, mm-hmm. there's always another day. Um, but actually, talking talking about um, Dark Angels, um, I've now got Cipher as well. Love um, thanks to Adrian on our Discord mm-hmm. as well. Um, he um, didn't have time really to to paint him. I think he was. I think he got the miniature off a friend of his. So he he was he did me a real favour. He said, "Look, mm. you know, give me the postage and uh, you can have him." So I've got him. <laughs> Uh, he arrived the other day, which is a happy day, awesome. so I can paint him. And he's already primed, so yeah, I'm going to yeah. have a go at doing him at some point. Um, I think that's it uh, at the moment, apart from a uh, miniature point of view. Reading-wise, obviously, I've read the Deepkin Battletome, mm-hmm. uh, luckily, <laughs> for this episode. Oh, I was <laughs> um, worried uh, that you had <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Oh, no, I forgot. Um <laughs> I've uh, talking of Age of Sigmar. I've just uh, finished reading uh, the second Realmgate book, which is mm. Warstorm. Uh, or I should say, listen to it on Audible. Yeah, yeah. Uh, much better than the first one. Um, f- so, for anyone that wants to get into the lore of Age of Sigmar and wants to read the books, the first Realmgate book, um, mm. which I think is the Gates of Azir from memory, um, yeah. is a bit meh. To be honest, mm. it's okay. It's not a bad book, but it's not the greatest. 
but I've found so far they're progressively getting better. So the second one, yeah, Warstorm, yeah. is much better. It's got three little stories um, all around different parts of the uh, Chaos Gods and obviously the Stormcast Eternals. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm now on to the third one. I'm almost finished the third one, I should say, which is uh, called Gal Moraz, which is focusing mm-hmm. on uh, Sigmar's Hammer. And again, it's split into two different stories um yeah. and they're both very very good they're getting much better I mean, it's making me appreciate the stormcast eternals a bit more because <laughs> i find that that if you if you base them on the first book they mm. they come across as a bit boring yeah. and a bit yeah. you know that's like like they get said they're you know i know they get referred to as sigmarines <laughs> but you know which i know is a bit derogatory but that's sort of how they come across in the first yeah. one whereas in these yeah. you're getting a you know the second book the third book now they're getting a bit more detailed and a bit more interesting so yeah yeah um, that's really good so if you've read the first one and didn't care for it get into the <laughs> others because you will hopefully uh, uh turn your attention to them um mm. i've just finished reading uh angels of darkness the yep. dark angels yep. classic novel i know it's quite old now uh, by gav thorpe fantastic oh, it is yeah. one of the best 40k books i've ever read again i know it's old news mm. it's been around for a yeah. while but i never got around to reading it i uh, thoroughly recommend it it's a very different book yeah have you have you not tried it yet i've not read it yet no oh give it a go it's i thoroughly recommend it it's it mm. gives you a good insight into the dark angels and the fallen and it's just the way it's written because it's it without sort of spoiling anything it's written in the sense that every chapter alternates between two different stories basically oh, the past okay. and the present for the yeah, it's yeah. based around one main character who's a chaplain yeah. um and like i said he's you so basically the you know the first chapter is it something that's happened in the past second is the fir- the future yeah. and then it keeps yeah. alternating between these two stories and then they sort of come to a head uh, at the end awesome. very good yeah very very good um and talking about fulgrim um mm-hmm. as you were a minute ago um i'm about halfway through the uh the other novel not the heresy uh, one but the, the recent one Phoenix. the palatine yeah. yes so again thoroughly enjoying that because full yeah. is just amazing he's great and that he's was a, a good book i really liked that exactly one. yeah <laughs> well I, well I, we we did we've sort of confirmed we're definitely going to do a full grim oh, episode yeah. at some point we in the future to. based on <laughs> these books because like i said he's everyone's favorite primark we like him mm. we love him yeah yeah exactly. so um yeah um so yeah i think hobby wise that's it really i've been doing yeah. a bit more reading <laughs> than yeah. anything but yeah uh, uh you hopefully actually, now i'm back home yeah you actually remind me i forgot to add one thing in my reading section which is uh mm. my partner was very lovely and for our anniversary got me um legends of the age of sigma fire slayers skaven pestilence and sylvaneth which is an anthology book with yes. a section for Fire Slayers, section for Pestilence Skaven, and section for Sylvaneth. I'm about halfway through through to the Skaven Pestilence bit. So I've read all the Fire Slayers stuff, which was, I think, five or six short stories, which were really quite good. Um, as far as I can tell, the entire Fire Slayer faction is basically, we live here in this mountain, uh, all over the various realms. Of course, there's lots of different lodges and things. But always something happens where, okay, we live here, but we have to get up. We have to walk over there and kill something. <laughs> that seems to be the entire purpose <laughs> of that faction. <laughs> but, you know, those ones are all really well written. And, you know, I quite got to like the Fire Slayers because I never understood why the models had those runes in their skin. And now I understand, yeah. you know, Grimnir, the old dwarven god, was made of Urgold and was shattered at some point during the Age of Myth. And so they make runes out of that magical gold hammer into their warrior skins and then awaken the power of Grimnir 
within them when they fight, so they're stronger and faster and dwarfier, etc. Uh, <laughs> dwarfier. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, That's and official it, terminology. It, yeah, yeah, and it's interesting because it, apparently they have to strike this balance between enough power to fight against Chaos Well and too much to the point where they get gold lusted you know they get uh, i think it's glimmer lust is what they call it where they'll do anything to get more runes like there's this one berserker who's like they look at him like he's basically a carpet of runes he's got like 27 hammered all over his back uh, and he's just nuts <laughs> he like he sees another dwarf he's like i'm gonna kill you and take all your gold and then make my own runes <laughs> and have them to my skin it's like no no don't don't kill me i'm a rune master I will give you these runes. I came here to meet you, and then I will go get some more if you help us. <laughs> like this very on-edge dwarf, which was really interesting. Uh, and also some interesting faction stuff. Like, I think it's the end of the first one. Uh, no big spoilers. It's like a seven-page story or something. But um, they actually bargain with a chaos faction. That You know, like they get surrounded by a Blades of Corn faction, and they fought, you know people from this faction before and it's like oh we're gonna have to fight to the death now and the leader of the corn faction comes forward and says no actually i need you to i need you to do something for me you see over there where all the lightning is uh the stormcast eternals are there and the leader of this fire slayer lodge is like well you've got a lot of gold with you do you need me to kill the stormcast eternals i can do that i was like what (laughs) (laughs) and he's like no no i need you to kill the zinch warlord they're fighting i'm like okay yeah fine (laughs) okay <laughs> it's just still nice. a, a real mix-up from. It was something that would never happen in fantasy at all. Mm. Like the idea of dwarves bargaining with chaos over anything for any reason at all is ridiculous. But like to this point where but, it's uh, gold, it's their dead god. It's that important to them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. well, that's that, that's a good summary because, like we said before, Age of Sigma, the rules are out the window now. You can have mm. these weird little combinations. Um, I mean, in the uh, what we were. Sp- what I was reading the um, Warstorm book and mm. and Gal Moraz as well, where you've you know you've got the Stormcast teaming up with the Sylvaneth, which sort of makes sense to a degree because Sylvaneth is sort of a, I suppose a spiritual successor yeah. to the uh, the Wood Elves of sorts. Um, <laughs> but again, you see the animosity between them as well. You know they where yeah. they end up sort of fighting each other, then they they realise they've got a common enemy in, in the sense of chaos. There's a mm. lot of Nurgle in these books as well you would yeah, really appreciate is. these at the moment and <laughs> the, the, i mean I, like i said i'm i'm listening to him as opposed to reading them but mm. the voice actor for the like great and clean ones amazing they oh. sound exactly how you would imagine them to be and some of the uh, nurgle champions as well mm. they're f- absolutely mm. spot on um there's a bit of skaven in there a bit of <laughs> zinch it's you know it's all going on in them they're really good i must admit yeah. they're properly bring in age of sigma to the front with some of these novels because because i think for a lot of people the the lore is a bit in a bit of a catch-up really saying what's actually going on in in, in this in this world now because obviously of how established fantasy was whereas i think now it's starting to click a bit more i'm like ah yeah yeah, i get what's going on now and and like i said i think if you like you just said a minute ago if you just sort of if you're getting into the lore and trying to understand the story Mm. just be relaxed with it just understand that the rules aren't the same anymore just they yeah, will you will yeah. get these weird and odd situations but it's really good it's really interesting oh, yeah. i've yeah. actually got that book as well legends Ooh, of yeah. age of sigma as well it's on my shelf i just not <laughs> reading it yet yeah um, no, a, but no i'll, I'll definitely give that a go yeah and like i said i'm a bit into the skaven bit because it's a bunch of short stories for the fire slayers and the sylvaneth but then it's just like a 230 novel in the middle of it for the 
for the clan pestilence, which I thought was nice. really great. It's just, it's just one continuous story. I'm about halfway through it. And it just made me remember how much I love Skaven. Um, cause they are, the, <laughs> they are like the one faction that is entirely unchanged by Age of Sigma, as far as I can tell. Like, I started reading it, I'm like, yeah, they're basically exactly the same, and that's good because I loved them exactly as they were. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, there are vermin yeah. lords now. That's about, like, more vermin lords around, I should say. That's, like, the only difference. <laughs> yeah, and, and I suppose also you've got the great horned one as well, the horn rat. Mm. Um, yeah. is now part of Team Chaos and yeah. the gods. He's now uh, All sort of <laughs> yeah, he's sort of taken Sinesh's place, so to speak. I know there's a bit more uh, to he's, that, but fill uh, in the gap. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But we'll we'll get on to Sinesh a bit later, actually, yeah, <laughs> when we talk about plenty, the deep. Plenty to talk about there. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, right, I think that's it for the hobby stuff, isn't it? We've yeah. uh, been reading yeah. a lot, everyone. Oh yeah, there's a book, book hobby. <laughs> as always, still hobby. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, right, so yeah, we'll take a quick break now, and then when we get mm-hmm. back, we'll see what's been going on in the news. Yeah. Hello and welcome back. Uh, now we're on to the news, and mm. like I said, it's not been a massive news couple of weeks, which, to be fair, mm. is not a bad thing in this case, because we've got the Deepkin to talk about <laughs> a bit later, <laughs> so we're not actually complaining for once. Um, but there's a few little bits to talk about. Um, yeah. Probably the main bit of news that's happened in the last couple of weeks is the uh, 140k big FAQ1 Ooh, yeah. 2018 has been dropped. Yep. Now, basically, the plan is, from Games Workshop's point of view, is every year at um, March and September, twice a year, mm. they're basically going to drop an FAQ. And then yep. when they release a codex, they're going to do an errata shortly afterwards. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So like I said, this is the first sort of main... Sorry. Except the March one is now permanently going to be in April, so they can account for Adepticon and the results from the tournament there. So yes, it was late right. this yes, year, sorry. and now they're going. It wasn't late; it was perfectly on time. We just didn't <laughs> yeah, we just shifted the goalpost. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it was originally March. But yes, that's right. It's April now and September, which which is fine. You know, at least they've just come out and said that, as opposed to oh, disappointing yeah. people. <laughs> so yeah. So basically, like I said, these FAQs are going to drop uh, twice year they'll just make you know potentially big amendments or combination mm. of small amendments um this like i said this first one is the main big one um that we've had um and like i said there's you know quite a few significant things in this one oh, yeah. um so um and like i said before we get into them we did um do a twitter poll uh <laughs> to sort of ask people basically what their thoughts were um so basically had three choices were yes i love these cho- these news decisions or boo no what have they done or <laughs> c was uh well yeah, okay Mixed not that. sure um so <laughs> <laughs> the uh definitely yes one with 60 percent um yeah 10 percent for boo no and 30 percent for mixed bag so so overall you know people yeah. are, yeah. are are liking the change which i agree with to be fair i think mm. most of these changes are pretty much bang on to be fair um so yeah so cameron do you want to sort of kick off with what what they've changed yeah um so a a lot of things have changed um firstly there were some beta rules left over from the last faq involving smite um that have been sort of enshrined now so uh beta rules you know in match play you can only cast a psychic power once per psychic phase um unless it's smite which you can cast multiple psychers and that got to be a problem if you took an army with, like, 20 psychers and just kept casting Smite and dishing <laughs> out mortal wounds everywhere. Uh, <laughs> and so the the beta rule for Smite, which has been enshrined, which is now that every time you cast Smite, 
for that psychic phase, the charge value for it goes up by 1 to a maximum of 11. So, you know, it's a 5 initially. So you cast it on a 5. The next psychic to cast it in your psychic phase has to roll a 6 to cast, all the way up to an 11. But that doesn't change the overcharge rule. So if you manage to cast it when it's warp charge 11, you do still get your D6 mortal wounds instead of D3, which is nice. Uh, there yep. are two exceptions. There are models with Brotherhood of Sorcery, so Thousand Suns, uh, Rubric Marines, and their aspiring sorcerers, and models with Brotherhood of Psychers, so Grey Knights, because they have yep. less damaging smites. And doing that would have completely nerfed those armies into the ground, because <laughs> yeah, basically, yep. big part of their playstyle is we get all these little squads out, and each squad can do a little mini smite. Um, <laughs> there is um, not- nothing there for, I believe it's Pink Horrors can also, or Blue Horrors can also do a mini smite, uh, but they are not accounted for, because Games Workshop doesn't love demons as much as anyone else. No, uh, <laughs> clearly not. <laughs> so, so those have been enshrined, that's the official rule now. If you're not a Thousand Suns or a Grey Knight, your warp charge value for smite goes up by one each time you cast it um god what else there's there's a lot of big changes uh yeah there's targeting characters was the targeting sort of characters yes um you can no longer do sneaky nonsense such as parking your rhinos to block off line of sight to other enemy squads so you can snipe out their character which i thought yep. was an interesting approach to it um <laughs> 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 like you know you know um uh, you know, the Space Marine captain's right there, but sir, there are these two tactical squads, and you know, just park two rhinos in front of them. <laughs> like, good, clear <laughs> line of sight to the captain. <laughs> <laughs> it was really funny. Um, but yeah, you can't do that anymore. Um, but you also can't shield characters with other characters anymore, which is also nice. So nope. it is now the closest, it, uh, the closest visible enemy unit now doesn't apply to other characters. So, if, for example, Death Guard have a bunch of elite choice and HQ choice characters, they can make a little a little blob of those to all sort of support each other. No, you can just snipe out whichever one you want from that, uh, as long as there are no closer enemy squads. Yep. Which is also a good change. Makes characters both a little more durable and a little more vulnerable, depending, you know, what kind of list you're running. Uh, we never wanted to get to the Age of Sigma stage where there are no rules protecting <laughs> characters because <laughs> apparently they are very hard to keep alive there. Uh, <laughs> yep, that's certainly right. Yeah, um, there was also a lot of point rebalancing. Uh, Reboot Gilliman got brought back in to be sort of in line with the other two Primarchs available, so he went up to 400-ish points, I believe. That's right, yeah. On the nose, 400, you know, yeah. He's got yeah, up from 385. Yeah, he he is worth 400 points minimum. <laughs> he does so much, especially if you're running him uh, in an Ultramarines attachment, which you should be. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, people who bought Fire Raptors are very mad because they went up like 100-odd <laughs> points or something like that, like a crazy point increase before War Gear for Fire Raptors. Um, you know, maybe more people will take Storm Ravens for the for the competitive pricing there, but mm-hmm. we'll see about that. Um, speaking of detachments, soup is sort of dead. Um, yep. You can't do single detachment soup anymore, so you can't do something like have a Space Wolf HQ or Blood Angels HQ and then fill out the rest of the battalion with conscripts, uh, which is good. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, this is Battle Brothers, isn't silly. it? This is actually a yeah. beta rule. It's a beta rule, but I have a feeling it's going to be enshrined pretty well. Uh, the basics I, of I it is... For a deta- on a detachment level, you need 
to have a keyword that is shared between all units, and that keyword cannot be Imperium, Chaos, Eldari, or Tyranids. So yep, basically, that's right, Inari. Yeah, and Inari. Yeah, sorry. Um, and so on the Tyranid side, you can't have a bunch of Hive Tyrants with all the troops filled out with Gene Stealer Cult Neophytes um, <laughs> for like <laughs> the cheapest possible troops choice to pack as many Flyrants in as you can. Um, on the Eldar and Inari side, again, same thing. You can't just kind of spam the cheap Dark Eldar troop choices and things like that. They have, I think Carbolites and Witches are fairly cheap for what they do. Um, yeah, they are. Yeah. Yeah. And on the Imperium side, duh. Uh, they've got access to like 60% of the model range or something, so. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. And uh, for Chaos, uh, you can still do a Sword of Soup because they didn't say that you can't share Heretic Astarte, so Chaos Marines of any color may work together in a single detachment. Um, yeah. So we'll probably still see some stuff with that, but you can't just say, okay, I've got all my troops of Chaos Cultists, then I've got an. Thousand Sons Lord, a Death Guard Lord, and a regular Chaos Marine Demon Prince as my HQs. You can't have that in a single detachment, which is probably for the best. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think if you look at a lot of these, it's just... I know it's obviously to get balance, but I think Mm. they've obviously clamped down on people taking the piss with some of their uh, <laughs> their choices aren't they really because i think oh, I mean, yeah. to be fair the the the, the eighth edition rules are really good but mm. i think they've le- they've put in a bit too much flexibility and, and obviously from a, yeah. especially from a competitive point of view they've just made situations appear where you think yeah you, they probably didn't see it coming but people <laughs> will abuse these things i mean yeah. like going back to the points yeah. cost obviously dark creepers have now gone up uh, by 12 points which because obviously oh, you know a lot of tournaments people points. are uh, uh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes. Like yeah. So they're something now. So yeah. That's yeah. They've gone. Sorry. Yeah. With their war gear, they've <laughs> gone from twenty-seven to thirty-four. Um, mm, there we go. And also things like uh, dark talons have increased in price as well, mm, yeah. um, because again they're a, a bit quite a spammy uh, <laughs> army as well. So it, it makes sense. And again, like you said, the Battle Brothers. I think that makes perfect sense. Um, and isn't there something to do with uh, data sheets as well? The rule of yes. three. Yes, um, rule of three. So we are getting into limiting uh, things like the really competitive lists, which featured such things as 10 plague burst crawlers or 13 <laughs> flying hive tyrants with twin link devourers. Uh, <laughs> basically, um, they've introduced a set of recommended tournament rules, which I have a feeling are going to be adopted by the community at large because they make for much more diverse armies, which is... Up to 1,000 points, you can't have more than two copies of the same data sheet in your entire army. Up to 2,000 points, so 1,000 to 2,000 points, you can't have more than three, which is why it's called Rule of Three, because tournaments usually play at that sort of 1,500 to 2,000 range. Yeah. Um, and 2,000 above, you can have up to four of each. Um, someone did point out that because each different breed of Carnifex is um, a different data sheet and can be brought, bought in broods, you can still make a list with like 31 Carnifexes. <laughs> <laughs> there's always someone in there that finds yeah. these things <laughs> I was like reading through the reddit thread on the FAQ and I saw that near the top I was like yeah so what you do is take old one eye and a brood for your HQs then you take three thornback broods and three stranglethorn broods and three this broods and three that broods I'm like wow okay yeah <laughs> see where you're going with Fair this enough. see what you're putting down <laughs> Yeah. To be fair, that'd be a really interesting army to fight against. But uh <laughs> Yeah, it would actually, yeah. No, I, I think this is all this on. is all for the better. It really oh, is. Yeah. It's just it's just like I said, it's just stopping or limiting the amount of spam 
You know, yeah, it's, uh, you know, exactly. same with at the start with Smite being mm. obviously harder to cast now. It makes sense because I suppose it's just to make it more fun for everyone and where people oh, aren't yeah. just using these super spammy or super, I don't know, just just cheesy types of armies. You mm. know, it's I, I think yeah. I think it's great. I think it's a really good. Um, I mean, I imagine that some of the people that may be going, oh, I don't really like this, is probably the people that do like using that sort of stuff. Oh, yeah, um, you know, I've been um, been checking eBay recently, and I've seen a lot of Plague Burst crawlers up for sale. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't like them anymore. <laughs> I can only take three, I can't take ten. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't need these seven yeah. now. It's, yeah, it's the same it's... with, like, Fettered Blow Drones for Death Guard as well. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, the things that people just spammed because, you know, auto-hitting, high-strength flamer shots were always really good. They're being yep. brought back, and you need a more variable, more balanced list, which I think ultimately is going to be way better for play. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, there, are, there are a few more restrictive changes, though, that people are less happy about, <laughs> <laughs> such as... Uh, <laughs> beta rules for reserves and deep striking so uh, mm. you, you know of all the times that every, everyone loves it when you're fighting a blood angels player you should know that i've not actually played any eighth edition games yet i'm still getting there um but i've heard of this many a time <laughs> you're playing a blood angels player you've got your gun line set up beautifully they get the turn before you they steal the initiative for you and suddenly your gun line just isn't there anymore and it's been replaced with a bunch of death company um <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's a little more difficult to do. There are still certain forces that can get a turn one charge off by just, you know, zooming all the way across the board. Um, I think Storm Boys from Orc should still be able to pull it off, for example. Uh, but basics of it are, is if you're deep striking, turn one, you can only deep strike into your own deployment zone. Yeah. Which... Oh, so first off, this doesn't affect like forward operatives or scouts or mischief makers, for example, which is why I said earlier, nerglings are still scary because nerglings can just deploy nine inches away from the enemy deployment zone because that happens after deployment, but before the first turn. So it's not deep striking. Mm-hmm. Yep. The, it's not the coming out of reserves rule. Um, and so, you know, the Alpha Legion and the Raven Guard and the nerglings are still going to be able to have their fun, but they are less necessary for that counterplay. Like, you know you have turn one to set up to prepare for enemy deep strikes now. Which I think is, again, probably a good thing. It allows counterplay to the super heavy into assault turn one stuff. You know, like, again, you play a Blood Angels army and it's like, there's like three tactical squads and four predators out there. Where's the rest of the army? And then they just fall out of the sky on top of your front line. You go, oh, there they are. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Ta-da! Ta-da! Um, there's also been a crackdown on deep striking in that things like the Swarm Lords command ability, the, um, metabolic overdrive stratagem for Tyranids and warp time from Chaos Sorcerers don't allow you to move again after you've deep struck. So you can't deep strike in, go to the psychic phase, do a power that lets you move again, which is, again, stops those turn one assaults pretty well. (laughs) Yeah. Uh... Thing you know, it doesn't affect Celestine if she dies the first turn because she just gets placed wherever she wants. <laughs> In that case, <laughs> she which, plays by her own rules. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I was I was watching a game, uh, Sisters versus Chaos Marines, last week in the store, and yeah, she got chewed out first turn by a lot of corn berserkers, and then just came down behind a hellbrute and a cultist squad and wiped them out the next turn because she go wherever she wanted. <laughs> Good girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, right? Um. Yeah. Um. So. There's that, you know, there's, it's harder to get things moving. It's much harder to make that 
post deep strike charge because it's a nine inch charge that's like a 25 percent on 2d6 if you're lucky uh so unless you're a unit that can you know get extra dice for charging or can re-roll charges and things like that it's much less likely uh which is kind of interesting because dark elder just came out and their whole thing is we love deep striking uh right into your face and now the faq's coming like no 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 calm that down (laughs) (laughs) i I think again it's just it's just for the sake of balance ultimately i think i don't i I can understand why people are quite annoyed at this because again Mm. it's taking away some tactics for some of them but (laughs) again it look at it as a positive ultimately you know that people can't do this anymore because of this so change your tactics to cope Mm. with it now that's how i look at it you know it's just a different tactic yeah like i said it gives you a chance for counterplay if you're facing a turn one assault styled army which is great i I love being able to set my army up before it's immediately you know chopped down by a bunch of orcs (laughs) or chainsaws or blood angels (laughs) or whatever um (laughs) I feel I should mention, just hopping back to the rule of three, that doesn't apply to troops or dedicated transports, so be prepared to see a lot more Razorbacks. Um, <laughs> yep. Three. Uh, and someone also pointed out, I believe, that the changes to deep striking rule and the rule of threes means that a very viable Dark Elder strategy now is to get a bunch of raiders with Dark Lancers, keep them in reserves, and then let your opponent have the first turn. They move up. Your turn one, you drop all your raiders with Dark Lancers into your deployment zone and create the perfect gun line <laughs> there. That sounds line up awesome. All those, I like line that up idea. all those last yeah. cannon equivalent shots. Yeah. Hmm. So it, it still opens up interesting play. That's it. Um, that's, and that's why people got to look at it. Yeah. Except for one more restriction to deep striking, which is people complain about power level because they never use it. People are always using points. Tournaments use points. Unless you're mm-hmm. the newest of new players, you will probably use points instead of power level. But now... You have to have at least half your army's power level on the board turn one. They cannot be, yes, they cannot have yep. more than half in reserve, which initially was just number of units, which led to things like, for example, the previously mentioned one detachment soup. You would have a bunch of Blood Angels Vanguard veterans and Blood Angels Death Company, and you're like, oh, how can you have all those in orbit? Well, I've got 15 conscript squads <laughs> just kind of sitting in my deployment zone. <laughs> They're not going to move the entire game. They're not even going to advance onto an objective. They're just there so that I can have my elite assault units up in the sky. Uh, So you can't do that anymore. You have to have an even mix of valuable units, both boots on the ground and up in the air or in the warp or in the teleport chamber, Mm -hmm. wherever they are. Um, Which I think is probably, again, a balancing change to that. You know, it's, it doesn't stop things like infiltrating a unit of Hellblasters or whatever forwards just outside the enemy lines, turn one, and then plugging away with that, so it doesn't help with that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you can only do so much without massive overhauls, which is what chapter approved and stuff is for. Um, yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, that That's the general overview for the changes. Um, yeah. I, I love that. I, I think the only, the only so other one was, the, um, was to do with um, command points Ooh, yes. as well. So, you want to bring battalions, and if you can, you want to bring brigades. R- 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 brigades. There we go. Can't talk. <laughs> Put your teeth back in. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Um, so, battalions now give you five command points instead of three, which is pretty good. And brigades give you 12 instead of nine, which is really mm. good. So, um, be prepared to face at like 1,500 points a guard player with like 27 command points or something. So, <laughs> <laughs> But again, I think I think this is good because this rewards... Uh, players that are, are having 
you know, creating uh, mm. detachments of that sort of level. Because, you know, yeah. when I was looking at them before, I think, God, you're not getting much for what you're putting together there, to be fair. Yeah. So yeah. I think, no, I think this is a good thing. I think this is a yeah. positive step. Yeah, troops are always seen as sort of attacks for getting command points. And now it's like, well, I get so many more command points for having to bring, you know, three troop units for a battalion or whatever. Yeah, so, yeah exactly. Plus, it, it'll cut down on the... Between this and the rule of three, it'll cut down on the armies like I bring a vanguard detachment and a vanguard detachment and a heavy support detachment and a lord of war detachment. <laughs> yeah. That's my entire army. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the rule of three does kind of bite into those armies with less choice available. But, mm, uh, true. It, it's all right. And, you know, worse comes to worse. Like, I can't make 2000 points without going over something. I'm sure it's a suggested rule. I'm sure the opponent will be like, you can take the, you can take one more grotesque or whatever it is that you need. To- <laughs> I think grotesque troop choices actually ignore me on that. Uh, oh no, racks are, aren't they? I don't know the yeah. Dark Elder Codex anymore. It's new. I haven't read it yet. Uh- <laughs> no, I haven't yet. Yeah. Um, but we sort of, we sort of missed it, haven't we? <laughs> we sort yeah. of, yeah, but we can always we, go back we, to we it. Kind of, we kind of skipped it. We'll come back to it eventually. Um, yeah, absolutely. Personally, also, big change on the Death Guard side is uh, you can't poxwalk a spam effectively anymore. Thank mm-hmm. God. Yeah. Uh, which yeah, I bet you were gutted about that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I was not gutted about that. I didn't want to do like a 50 poxwalk. No, good. Poxwalker good. You're not, um, you're not one of those players. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so again, a lot of poxwalkers on eBay because now you have to pay reinforcement points for any poxwalker above the unit's starting strength. So mm-hmm. I think the way to run poxwalkers now is a blob of 40 with 20 cultists on each side. And once you get down to about 20 poxwalkers, start sacrificing the cultists to bring it back up. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, if you bring a unit of 10 poxwalkers and you've got 20 cultists either side like you would normally do to swamp the board, uh, you're going to have a bad surprise. You're going to have to keep, like, 300 points in reserve for all the new poxwalkers <laughs> going to make, which makes sense. <laughs> it was the only thing that avoided that, really. So it's fair enough that you, do, that you will have to pay reinforcement points. Um... And Demon Princes for Death Guard can now take Plague Spewers, which is cool. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, spoil that. Yeah. It, it stops you from switching out the Sword and Talon loadout, but it's also a 9-inch Flamer charge deterrent, so I think it's a cool little extra addition. Yeah, definitely. And I'm sure there's lots of little things like that sprinkled throughout all the FAQ, but I didn't read every single codex of FAQ. <laughs> <laughs> because no, I, got- it, I, I think overall <laughs> it's a very positive step forward. Mm. I think, I think, I mean, we're not competitive players, but I think, uh, you know, so <laughs> there'll be people going, but it's so wrong. Um, but ultimately, I think it's, you know, anything that creates balance, anything that's overpowered or cheap, mm. you know, too cheap for what it should be, I don't consider that a bad thing. You know, it's, it should be all balanced. And ultimately, <laughs> without trying to sound patronizing, it makes, it should hopefully make people better players. Mm. And, you know, it make you know, because ultimately now people that have had to, play a certain way because that was what was working beforehand and now it's not now you have to like i said think of new tactics but that makes you a better well-rounded player and obviously yeah, just exactly. makes you consider your options a bit differently now so again i don't consider that a bad thing it's more choice yeah. in a yeah. way mm. but no there it is yeah, that's I'm, the i'm looking uh, forward to see what comes of it <laughs> yeah no well that's well ultimately they you know, this is a good thing. GW will want, will you know, will take all the feedback they get, especially for the the couple of beta rules, which is obviously the mm. the soup one, Battle Brothers, and the uh, tactical reserve. So you know, let's see what happens with them. Yeah, but uh, no, exactly. I think again, overall, it's positive. 
Right, okay, so next bit of, well, sort of news, something that, I think this is something you spotted, wasn't it, Cameron, the, uh, yeah. the Wrath and Glory interview with uh, Ross Watson. So yep. Wrath and Glory is the upcoming Warhammer 40k RPG, um, mm-hmm. but as in a book RPG, yeah. um, that's coming out well, hopefully later this year, I think it is, isn't it? They haven't officially given yeah, a date, but it date, should but be out. Look, it's, they got a lot of information out there, so hopefully it'll be coming soon, because they're talking about in-depth mechanics and stuff now so yeah hopefully <laughs> yeah exactly it's i mean it yeah the interview um was with yeah like i said with ross watson i think he's one of mm. the uh designers of it and uh yeah i think it was the yeah, guys at uh, bell of lost souls that did an interview with him and yeah i mean like i said it only gave us a few more tidbits of you know what we already know but there was some quite mm interesting little bits like um obviously they've com- he confirmed that there's gonna be four different races which yep. is the adeptus Startes, humans orcs and eldar or yep. <laughs> eldari <Awesome. laughs> um which is cool um there's 32 archetypes um yep. from those four uh different races um a few of the ones he mentioned was an imperial commissar elder eldar warlock uh orc knob and a rogue psyker yep. um also as well as doing the base game, they've got uh, the first expansion in the works at the mm. moment, which is the Imperium and the Hylus, uh expansion. Because basically what's really cool is Wrath of Glory is going to be based around the current 40k universe, i.e. Dark Imperium, yeah. which is also yeah. what we covered uh, a couple episodes ago. So basically all that sort of situation is now going to be based in this uh, in this world. Um, and what's quite cool, which I didn't realise, that um, Aaron um, Dem- Dembski-Bowden, is mm, part of the yeah. team on this as well. He's actually written like the you know where the story is going to take place, which is the uh, uh, Gilead system. I don't know how you pronounce it. Um, <laughs> so it's really cool because he's you know for me he's one of the better Black Library authors. So it's really cool yeah. that they've got him yeah. on board to do a lot of the story work as well. Yeah, um, definitely. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, seeing a lot of really cool stuff. Uh, I might have found a different interview to actually by accident trying oh. to find the interview I linked you to earlier. <laughs> Because uh, there's a little more in-depth stuff in this one. Uh, so, oh, for example, okay. they're, they're actually drawing on Warhammer 40k 8th Edition's keyword system for a lot of stuff. Oh, right, um, okay. So there's things like if you're trying to do a persuasion skill test, if you share a keyword with your target, you might get a bonus or a detriment depending on things. Uh, if you don't have the Adeptus Astartes keyword, for example, trying to buy a heavy bolt pistol, a Primaris piece of gear, is going to be extremely difficult, if not impossible. <laughs> Um, so it's sort of keywords are used to limit gear choices and give bonuses to skill tests and things and also help determine character creation as well. So apparently when you're making a group, you decide a tier that you want to play at tier one, which is your like cultists and conscripts stuff, tier Mm -hmm. two sort of veteran officers slash scouts level, tier three is the actual space marines and veteran veterans of chaos or the Imperium, etc., and tier four being like primary space marines, etc. That kind of that kind of level up there, I believe. Uh, you choose your tier, and then you choose the overarching keyword. So you might take keyword chaos, which means you can't play orcs or eldar because they're not usually chaos aligned. But you can play humans or adept studies, which can take the chaos keyword. Yeah, like makes that. sense. And then from that main keyword, so <coughs> say we take the chaos keyword, that depend that sort of outlines which archetypes you can pick. So like. You take the Chaos keyword as a human or Adeptus Sardis, you could take the Cultist archetype or the Rogue Psyker archetype, that kind of thing. Which is really cool. Way of sort of defining out what you can do and sort of streamlining how you will make a group of characters. 
I think it sounds amazing, this game. I mm. really do. I think there's going to be a lot of creativity with this as well, which is what they're going for. Again, in the interview that I was reading, mm. um, that's the sort of the vibe they're going for. They want it to, they want it to feel very 40k, as in very diverse. And yeah, and, oh, they they talk about. I don't know if you did you read about the what they call the wrath dice as well as yeah, part of the system, yeah. where you know when you get like a roll of one or a six, it will do it'll do something in addition to whatever you're rolling mm. for. Um, yeah. So it'll, it'll create those yes, but or no, and <laughs> situations, which is, I think is fantastic. It'll just make that, you know, it's much more diverse than it, than it could be. Mm. Um, yeah. No, I, I'm really excited about this game. And actually, I think we said that when, when it does come out, whenever that actually is, that it's a sort of special, me and yourself will, record us playing it <laughs> over the yeah. internet weren't we <laughs> um so oh. i just finished reading this interview uh apparently their goal is to launch at gen con 2018 oh happy days that uh, just just uh. right at the end of this this interview that i found and didn't find earlier apparently uh yeah <laughs> so that's yeah we got, a, we got a hopeful release date nice <laughs> oh, i can't wait for this uh, yeah definitely they're gonna mm. have a set of four books for sort of the 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 official region to play in, etc. in the Imperium. So really excited for this because I, I love tabletop gaming, not just war gaming. Like I do a lot of D and D. So yeah, yeah, this is perfect. I'm really into yeah. this. <laughs> well, it's that, and it's nice that they brought this up to speed because obviously we've had, you know the, obviously there's been 40k RPGs like uh, Dark Heresy and um, Death Watch, Death Watch, and things previously. But it's nice mm. that they're now bringing it. You know, up to speed with the current situation, so it's starting yeah, fresh definitely. with it, and and it looks like the team have really embraced it because also they gave the license to, um, what's it what's they called Ulysses Ulysses North America, I think that's the one. Like um, yeah. so yeah, I I think that I think they're going to do a fantastic job of this, and the fact mm. they're already working on expansions, I'm oh I'm excited. Yeah, right. I'm very, <laughs> very intrigued. Anyway, moving on to our last bit of news. <laughs> Yes. Um, well, we, yeah, we got well, we got two little bits. These are just the smaller yeah. bits of news. Um, they've showed off um, on the Warhammer Community site the Black Library new cover art. So some of the, some of the new novels that are about yep. to come out, um, which look really cool. Um, the first one is another one in the uh, Cyphus Kane yep. uh, series, which is <laughs> Choose Your Enemies. I love I yeah. love the artwork on it. He looks so smug. Yeah, that <laughs> is that great. is perf- that is perfect for him. I love the Kane books. I've not read all of them, but I've read like a fair few of them. They're really great. Um, have you read any of them? No, I was about to say I've not actually read. I'm familiar with them, but just never yeah. uh, read any of them. So yeah, it, the, is he very? Is that very suiting of him? Is that it? is very suiting. So like to sell the concept, he's CFS Kane, the hero of the Imperium. He's this legendary commissar lord, uh, or lord commissar, I should say. Um, and the thing is, the books are like his personal memoirs written from his perspective with sort of editing by an inquisitor that he knew. Um, and it's like, he does this campaign and he's the, he's the hero. He saves this entire system. He does this campaign. He saves this entire system, everything. But then we get it from his point of view and the book is like, no, I was just trying to protect myself and I accidentally had to, you know, do this entire suicide mission, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> but if I didn't do it, people would find out I was a coward and I'd be executed. So I did this to save myself. <laughs> nice. <laughs> like that is, that is his character. Like he is that self-preserving coward, but because of his position as a commissar to keep himself alive, he does these ridiculously heroic things. 
And it, <laughs> like, you know, he, he hangs out with the Valhallen, uh, Imperial Guard Regiment mostly, which is really cool. They're, they're a bunch of ice welders and he's done his best to maintain a really good relationship with the people he works with because he knows like 80% of commodars, commissars get shot in the back of the head in their first, in their first battle. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's the, it's the chaos of combat. And also this guy was a real dick for like four weeks before we got out into the <laughs> battlefield. He's like, no, no, hey, everyone, good time, good going. Yeah, I'm your commissar. <laughs> Please don't kill me. <laughs> Please. No. It's they, a, they a bit are, of irony there, great. isn't there? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, they are a really great read, and he is a fantastic character, so really looking forward to that. <laughs> cool. Um, yeah, and the next one is you've got the Blood of Ajax, which is... Mm-hmm. um haven't really shown much, but looking at the cover, you can see an Ultramines uh, chaplain and apothecary on the front. Yep, so, both Primaris. Yep, so <laughs> that'll be... Cool, hopefully. Yeah. Uh, hopefully next one is um, for us Nurgle boys. You've got the Lords <laughs> of Silence, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, featuring some of the newer type Plague Marines on the front, which yep. again looks really cool. Um, <laughs> and then you've got uh, an Age of Sigmar one, which is the Tainted Heart, which is going yep. to be uh, a pair witch of hunters. Order of Azir Witch Hunters. Yeah. Which sounds interesting. interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. They. Um, do you think? Do you feel they're sort of trying to recreate uh, what's, what they ones? Um, is it Gotrex and Felix? Gotrex and the... Felix. Um, they might be trying to do the same duo style, yeah. which I think would be yeah. interesting because mm. we've got a male and a female character, which is nice for sort of the protagonist of a fantasy novel. Um, yeah. it's definitely going to be a different feel with their witch hunters as opposed to a mm-hmm. slayer and a poet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it'll definitely be interesting. And then we have uh the most interesting. And controversial cover, which is Slaves to Darkness, which is, um, you know how Final Fantasy XV is described as a road trip with the boys on the way to a wedding? It certainly uh, is. I think this book is going to be a road trip with the boys, Heretic Primarchs, on the way to the destruction of Terra. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> like, we were talking about yeah. the, um, about Fulgrim on this, weren't we? Yeah. Uh, on the front cover, because yeah. obviously you weren't so sold on his look. On this front cover, like, were you? I, I like the body design, which is he's a demon Primarch at this point. He's got his forearms and his big snake tail, but his face looks really bad on this cover, in my opinion. Like, no no offense to the artist. I'm sure you, you were very talented with the rest of them. They're great. I love them. But Fulgrim is meant to be beautiful, even as a demon Primarch. And this guy's <laughs> like big, thick chin, bulbous nose, kind of sneery, evil scientist-looking face. And I'm like, Yeah, he, he does come across very <laughs> evil scientist, doesn't he? Yeah. I, yeah. I, 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 I'm sort of in between. I, I I agree, as in it's not how he, to me, he should look, but I still think it's a very good job. You know, as in... Oh, a, no, it's, it's definitely you know, a good job. Putting aside being a football, Fulgrim. <laughs> um, I mean, to be fair, when we cover Fulgrim, we'll just, we'll we'll do that as the, uh, as the uh, one of the... Topics will say, yeah. <laughs> who is the most beautiful looking Fulgrim representation you've ever seen? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I will say, uh, uh, but- the artist got Angron really good because he's just a clenched fist and yelling. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very true. Very true. No, it is, it's, I think, putting aside, it is a very, it is an awesome looking cover. And it's like I said, it's oh, going to yeah. be the next Horus Heresy book. Um, yeah, so, no, we've got some really cool books and closer looking. to that Siege of Terror. Yes. Oh. Apparently, well, this one doesn't they- get there, though. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> by, the, by, the, by the description, it's like, it is them on their way to Terra. I'm like, are they going to get there? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing, because they, they're, they're looking to wind down the heresy book soon, aren't they? They sort yeah. of... I mean, they sound like, what, 
200 300 of them <laughs> it feels like <laughs> feels like yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah so yeah we've got some cool looking new books on the way um and mm. the last little tidbit of news um mm-hmm. they recently showed on again on the community website the uh, sneak preview of the upcoming uh, May White Dwarf, um, and they sh- I've noticed they showed off the um, Eldari web ga- uh, webway gate that's going to mm-hmm. be an actual piece of scenery that you can buy, and the way it's worded it suggests it will actually have some rules attached to it as oh, well. Yeah. Um, it's going to, awesome. like I said, it's, it's coming soon. It's going to be um, released alongside the Harlequins Codex, um, yeah. which is going to be in May, and so is the Death Watch Codex as well. It's coming in yeah, May, so. Is- Awesome. Awesome. So this thing is really big because their image for it is like a Wraith Knight inside the gate, just like yes. not quite coming to the top of it. Like this is going to be a big piece of terrain. <laughs> Absolutely. I think that's no. I think it looks. I think it looks mm. great, and I think it'd yeah. be interesting to see what um, potential rules come with it as yeah. well. I mean, so. do you think they'll go sort of Age of Sigma with it? Because recently, with the Deepkin and the Sylvaneth and stuff, they'd be releasing terrain alongside the army that yeah. has rules to work with the army. It'll be something like that. I think I think so too. I think I think two reasons really. Um, I'll put I'll put my uh, positive mm. hat on and my negative hat on. Right. So the positive hat is that I think they're doing more scenery because it just adds so much more dimension to the games. Yeah, it's definitely. actually having you know train with rules. I think it's a fantastic idea. Um, cynical hat, negative hat on is that obviously it's just more money. <laughs> you know, they can sell these things and yeah. rather than people making their own, they can charge a lot for these sort of stuff. But mm, putting yeah. that aside, I think it's a fantastic idea. I think I love the idea of train having rules and having some impact on play as oh, opposed yeah. to it just being a thing that you've just put together. Um, and also, uh, I think as well as, sorry, I was going to say that it's good for lazy people <laughs> you know yeah, not in a like derogatory us. way uh. but people that just want to like just buy some terrain as opposed to trying mm. to build it from scratch i think it's a you yeah. know it's just a nice option to have and actually have a, having a bit of terrain with a purpose again mm. you it's like we said before you can you can have it as an anchor point for a particular objective of a game rather than you know if you yeah. especially if you're doing your own custom uh, types of games you know it's a great you can have it as a focal point right in the middle and you know and have a scenario based around it It just gives you a bit more flexibility mm. it just gets those creative juices flowing i think yeah yeah some some deep ma- malicious part of me is like i'm looking at that gate and i'm going i bet the rules are you get to ignore the beta rules for deep strike with the gate <laughs> <laughs> yeah yes i can see that happening totally you put agree. the gate on the field you can deploy anywhere within nine inches of it or something like that which sort of tried. makes sense because that's what happens in the law that's the whole point of the yeah. webway gates so yeah yeah mm. <laughs> but part of me's like oh codex harlequins how are they gonna fare they're so fragile there's so few of them it's such an elite army well you see they'll be in combat turn one <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah. unlike every other army in the game <laughs> <laughs> It's just the little demon in my head telling me that's exactly what it's going to be. I think you no, I think you could be right. We'll see. Well, hopefully by Mm. next uh, episode, we'll actually find out how that's going to work. Hopefully, we'll be out by then. So yeah, they'll be up for pre-order soon. Um, Yeah, so that's been news over the last couple of weeks. I said it's been. Nothing, nothing. Well, I suppose the FAQ's been a huge drop, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just other bits of little, small bits of news. Um, so, mm-hmm. like I said, we're going to take another break, um, and then because we're going to need this one, yeah. <laughs> because oh, we're going to go in deep soon. <laughs> we're going to go and talk <laughs> about the Ideneth Deepkin battle tome in depth. Uh, so be prepared, and uh, we'll be yeah. back after this break. 
Hello and welcome back. Uh, ready for the main part of the show where we are doing what you've all been waiting for. We're going in deep on the Deepkin. We've got the Ideneth Deepkin battle tomes with us and we're going to go through it all um, as much as we can. We're not going to literally describe it word by word, but we will <laughs> give a good overview of their lore, um, their background, and obviously we'll touch upon their new models and um, the mm. rules attached to them as well. But the, one thing I would say before we properly start, I know we said this the same when we touched upon the um, Daughters of Cain, but this book is fantastic. Oh, <laughs> it's okay. 100, 136 pages of goodness right in front of us here. It is a, a glorious looking book. Um, it's They have properly done these justice. So oh, that's yeah. one thing I would say, even if you're not intent on ever starting them as a, you know, as an army, just the battle time itself is is great to read <laughs> and great to look through. It's, it is gorgeous. Um, are you impressed with it, Cameron? Oh, yeah. I really like this book. It's a <laughs> oh, joy to yes. read. Although <laughs> it really reading was. Reading it this morning for the podcast, I was like, there was much more than I remember. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, because I read, the, like I said to you, I read this uh, at the start of the week and I'm like, and I was, woke up this morning thinking, hang on, um, what's it, what are they about again? <laughs> I had to do a bit of a refresher course before we started. But yeah. no, they they are, I tell you what. They and I'll probably repeat this again later. They're an army and a and a race which makes sense. Just the way they've mm. been put together and how they integrate with each other and where they come from makes perfect sense. They've they, you know they've developed a race which is obviously based around the oceans and the seas, but and obviously they are playing upon some of the standard tropes that comes to these sort of things. But they've added their own sort of thing to them as well to make them quite mm. a, you know mm. quite a, well actually a very interesting race. Um. Right, let's uh, let's uh, dive in. Pun intended. Uh, yep. <laughs> so yeah, so what we'll <laughs> so what we'll do is we'll like I said we'll just cover on the sort of different sections. Um, like so, the first sort of like fifty pages are just are just devoted to lore and background. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah, so the Ardeneth Deepkin. So they're ba- so it gives you a, a brief summary right at the start, which is basically they're they're from the sea to take the souls of their victims. That's a key thing to, to mm. note throughout the whole of their race. Um, you know, they basically use layered magic to hide from witnesses. You know, they're a very secretive race or have had to be for yeah. quite a X amount of time to, you know, to become the powerful or potentially powerful race they are now. Um, you know, they rise to the ocean for basically one purpose, which is war. They're not a yeah. uh, materialistic race of any kind. Um, no, their no, army no. Armies are known as uh, phalanxes. Um, that's how they get referred to as, um, and they bring portents with them, such as mist and the wind and the waves. Are very um, <laughs> they they start off as a little dribble and a little bit of wind, and then they come into a full scale uh, uh, typhoon yeah. and tornado, yeah. basically. Which is which I think is great because to me it sh- it makes you appreciate you know if you're visualising these they mm. this is to me how they would come across. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. So um, yeah. So like I said, they're not after the spoils. They're just after souls, <laughs> basically. The, yeah, um, yeah. You know, was, which are these really little, cool? Yeah, there was a little aside bit like they raided a dwarf settlement and didn't touch a single piece of jewelry or single gem or single bar of gold. It's like, but everyone was gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just, everything else was untouched. <laughs> yeah, they just we don't want anything. We just want your souls. Uh, <laughs> um, so basically, they can be seen swimming through the air via what's known as the ether sea, which is like a you know a, a magical 
substance that they use to to travel through the air, which is basically like water in the air. Um, you know, they're they're basically a horde of eel cavalry and sea creatures and and warriors. Um, and what's quite interesting as well is as they withdraw, um, they they're there off firing their arrows, they're counterattacking, um, and basing basically leaving a lot of their victims asleep because they basically mm. tore their souls out and they're just you know sleeping in blissful ignorance that they don't have a soul anymore never to wake yeah again. yeah um one of the malign important short stories about them had a really great image which is um clearly someone came on came into a town just in the ebb part of a raid as the Ideneth were sort of withdrawing but all the people who were asleep were still floating in the air because the ether yeah. was still there yeah it was really yeah. creepy sort of alien abduction <laughs> Almost style thing. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they, um, yeah. So they appear from the mist and the shifting currents, you know, to basically disorientate uh, their, well, the victims that are going to be mm. uh, taking their souls. You know, basically leave survivors with little to no memory. You know, that's a quite yeah. a key point. Um, so that's sort of what they're there to be seen as. So we'll sort of briefly go now into their sort of how they came about. Um, so, as expected, it all begins with Sinesh. Sinesh has always got his yeah. fingers in pies. Everything oh. begins with Sinesh. <laughs> it certainly does. I, uh, feel, he, I feel I should point out, um, this is another battle tome that is very Slanesh heavy for not actually being about Slanesh. Yes. Like, yeah, there, there are, there are a lot of, of photos of demonettes fighting them and everything, just like the, yes. like the Daughters of Cain, which is great. More Slanesh there, there is around the happier I am, so... <laughs> <laughs> which i think is quite cool because to me it's now it's building things up for sanesh because like mm. i said he, you know, oh, we yeah. didn't know where he was for ages and now obviously with the daughters we've now got a bit more insight into what's happened with sanesh now with uh, the deep kin we're now seeing a bit more about what sanesh is all about um and it's just yeah. his love of elves well <laughs> he's got the taste for elves yeah, uh, you know, basically Luscious. that's where it all begins. He certainly <laughs> does. Uh, he hungers for elf souls uh, due to this, their sweetness. You know, he basically he's gorged himself upon mm. all their souls, um, and it makes a point that the the worshippers of Mathlan, which was the uh, elven god of the Lord of the Deeps, um, basically all the worshippers um, hid when the uh, world that was was shattered, because basically mm. Mathlan was destroyed, um, and they hid, and. Well, obviously, when they were found, they, <laughs> which is what they, was really funny, is they tasted even better. <laughs> mm, <laughs> that sweet, yes. sweet taste of wor- mm. Mathlan worshippers. Tastes better which, when you uh, steal it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think the fact, that, <laughs> I think the fact that they they were hiding is the fact that they tasted mm. better. They've just got this image that you know they're sort of like a forbidden fruit. They're not there supposed yeah. to be had. And like, oh, I found you, and then. Uh, Mm. takes a nice bite um so yeah like i said mathland now been destroyed categorically um and yeah. so now when um teclis tyrian and malarian um as we've spoken about before um mm. when they awake um they are on a search for the elves uh in in the uh the mortal realms they don't find any they uh then no. team up with sigmar because why not um and they they find a few elves but nothing like they were used to you know it's just the, the mm. remnants of what they find um um, as we've spoken about before, Sinesh, they trap Sanesh in the uh, the hidden gloaming, 
um, which is caught between two of the realms. Um, and as they, as we know, they split the souls between them. Um, and then basically the first souls, were the, the it, sorry, the first souls to come out were the last ones that went in. <laughs> I didn't realize that's how it works, but that's supposedly yeah. how it works with Sinesh. Makes sense, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so basically the last ones in were Mathlands elves, the, the worshippers we were just talking about. Mm. So they were given to Teclis, who in essence, in summary, he's basically tried to recreate the high elves. That's, yeah. you know, he doesn't categorically say that in the battle tone, but that's what it's insinuating. He wants yeah. his high elves back. Um, but um, he basically gives them, right. Oh, actually, before we carry on, mm. apologize for any mispronunciations in any, in <laughs> any of these in this book, because there are there's some, a lot of words. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, we're just going to say them how we think they're said. And if they're wrong, mm. Too bad. Um, so he basically gives them uh, Larue or Larueia, uh, which is basically yeah. the bright haven or the city of reflection. He, you know, he basically calls these mm. um, elves the the Sithai, Sithai, Sithai. Yeah. I don't know with Sithai because Sithai is too much like sci-fi. Sci-fi, yeah, <laughs> Sithai. Yeah, we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll change that as we <laughs> as we carry oh, on. Yeah. Um, and he basically calls them that, and the, they're known as the Awakened. And he basically teaches them of the old times, hoping to, mm. you know, and basically to hope to bring back the old gods. That's what he's trying to do. Um, but as we know, things don't always go right. So something goes wrong, <laughs> and he and he notices that they're quite withdrawn. Uh, a lot of infighting between them. They split up. Um, and the one sort of thing that really highlights things to Teclis is he can't see into their souls. He's like, this, mm, what's going on here? Um, he's meant to be able to see anything. So that's exactly, <laughs> exactly. So he's like, he, so he's almost doubting himself at this point. He's like, hang on, what's going on? Um, so he, he basically uses purifying spells, um, to, to try and sort them out, um, which sends a lot of them into madness. Um, and the others, that don't go that don't go mad basically end up fleeing to the sea mm. um and at this point teclis is so sort of i don't know what to do with them that he, he almost kills them and wipes them out mm. at this point um because he sort of wants to start again but Tyrion steps in and says look don't so in effect teclis sort of leaves them <laughs> being yeah. go, okay fine you know he almost forgets about them go right okay they've they've gone into the sea yeah whatever happens to them happens yeah um yeah. And basically, his magic um, makes them adapt to the water. Um, you know, where they then start using vibrations and the pressure of the water, and they, you know, they feel it and use it to, uh, you know, for their senses, basically. Um, and in, then they notice that they they start seeing seeing the soul soul. Well, as she says, soul stuff of the living um, is one of the, which is obviously again one of the uh, the highlights of uh, what Teclis has sort of imprinted on them. Um, yeah. And a big problem's about to come about. <laughs> mm, yeah, really big. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but actually, do, do you want to talk about that, Cameron? The yeah, the big problems. Um, so, so as far as we've seen, and I really hope they keep this up with each new elf faction they release. There has been a big problem related to their time in prison within Slanesh with um the daughters of Cain. It was mm-hmm. physical deformation. Like half some of them grew wings and some of them grew snake tails and things like that. They were physically deformed to look like both Marathi and Slanesh. Um in the case of the Deepkin, the deformation isn't physical, it's a spiritual ill. Uh one out of a hundred of them are born with a proper soul, the rest will die within a few years of being born unless they are fed the souls of another living creature, like so like Slanesh, these guys have to eat souls to survive, effectively. Um mm-hmm. which is really cool. 
so th- this is, however, not very good for their species or their race, I should say, because um, one percent of the population being able to survive past infancy is not great for um for population growth. <laughs> it's not a good start, is it? <laughs> yeah, no. Um, they tried all kinds of healing magic until they finally figured out how to literally tear the soul out of something and put it into something else. Uh, and they tried to do it with animals, didn't work for very long, uh, and they found out with uh, humans and dwarves and other sentient creatures, basically things that are developed enough to have a proper soul, I suppose it might be what they're saying, um, they let them live a lot longer, still for only 30 to 40 years, normally if they're living off that kind of soul, but it's better than, you know, two or three years, so... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um... So, this this is a bit of a problem, and so we actually get something interesting with how Ideneth society is set up, because we are set into two main sort of groups. We have the Nomati, which are the soulless ones, which are, you know, 99% of the population. Uh, these half-souled or soulless elves, which um was also a problem with Daughters of Cain. If you remember the Laflan, the male elves and Daughters of Cain are born yep. with half of a soul and suffer the same sort of problem, but Marathi just brands them and says, no, no, you're just literally a slave. Uh, whereas in this case, the Namati are basically happy to be alive and <laughs> usually get relegated to the construction kind of work. They build the cities of the INF and some of them, the more physically able, become the warriors. Uh, but then the 1%, those born with full skull, full souls, they also live a lot longer, so they have time to become better warriors or to become mm-hmm. better uh, wizards and better scholars, so these form the uh, Isharan and Achilleans, so the sort of the two ruling castes or castes of uh, Ainet society. Um, they, they eventually came around to we, we got a raid to survive because it's not it's not feasible to have just the one percent survive while the ninety nine percent dies off all the time. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's one way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's basically... That, that's their big issue, is uh, they need to constantly raid and collect sentient being souls. Yeah. For their, I mean, it actually, uh, give, it actually gives some stats as well, where it says yeah. that the they basically need six souls of men, for, as an example, to mm-hmm. empower an elf for a third of its lifespan. Normal. So, yeah. you know, so you're doing the math so, there, and then it needs at least 18 souls <laughs> to get it to its rough sort of lifespan, which you know, is quite yeah. a few considering, you know, one one alpha, 18 mm. men. So it's, yeah, it's quite a lot. And um, it actually yeah. says as well that the Namati are, they're sort of, um, I think it means bless and the bless and damned, yeah. which is quite cool. Yeah. You know, the, like you said, they're ble- blessed as in they're blessed to be alive, but then they're damned yes. because they're, they're on a ticking yes. time bomb, <laughs> basically. Yeah. Um, uh, there's another interesting point, which I totally forgot because I just saw the paragraph for it now. Um, <laughs> this isn't this isn't the only thing they got from Slanesh, uh, which is mm. a few of the ones with full souls, so like a tiny bit of the 1%, uh, just go insane. They're yes. called Malachi. Malachi. Oh, Malachi, Malachi. Uh, Something Malachi like that. Sounds yeah. a bit too much like Malachi, so Malachi it is. Uh, <laughs> uh, event, like, at some point, they just they snap, they go into raging madness, and then savage debauchery. So they start fighting everything, and they start, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, just to add to insult uh, to injury. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so even even those born with a flawless soul and a flawless physical body 
still aren't free from Slovenia's nope. influence, which is pretty rough. Which ties in nicely because it also says that the the, the word Ideneth is, is to mean extreme seclusion or it mm. can also mean desperate measures, which I think is very yeah. appropriate for yeah, their race. Is. Yeah, um, and some 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 point in here, uh, I'll just get to it now, but um, part of the reason they choose to live deep in the ocean is that it dulls all the physical senses. Yep, like, exactly. They they want to be as far from the potential excesses of Slanesh as possible. Like they don't want to do anything that might attract his attention at all. Yeah. So they're like, Which... we'll go to the bottom of the ocean. You can't see, you can't smell, you can barely hear. The only sense is touch, and even then, it's ice cold, so you can't feel that much. <laughs> I think I went, when I when I read that, I felt quite. Even though obviously this is all you know fancy, I felt quite. Mm. It touched by that, but you know they they mm. go they go to so extremes that they would happily sort of numb themselves on a physical, mm. mental, you know, so, you know, yeah. soul level yeah. to get away from it. You know that they literally they so want to be so detached from what's above and obviously what what's happening with Slanesh that they would put <laughs> themselves through that. I mean, it's just I think yeah. it's amazing. I think it, you know it fits oh, yeah. so nicely with how. You know, even though it's a horrible thing, it's, it fits nicely with you know from the background point of view. Um, but but yeah, you're right. We do get a, sort of a bit of insight about well, I think it's under the, the deep places, but where they basically built yeah. cities in the depths. Um, it's all on uncharted territory. Um, you know, you've got stories from sailors and scourge privateers. Uh, mm. You know, talking about horrible creatures and like merwin yeah. and, and things like that. Um, where yeah. they, they, you I, know, they I also. Um... Sorry, I li- just that little bit. I like because they talk about the rarely seen aquatic races. So there are yes, that maybe setting up future Ideneth expansions or future. Mm, general yes, expansions. I thought they're that. talking about Merwin and Kelpda, which Kelpies and Marrows, um, both traditional folklore aquatic creatures. Yep, um, really interesting. Uh, but those guys can't go deep enough to find the Ideneth, and they don't want to. <laughs> no, basically no, <laughs> and it, and it makes a point that the predators are at the top, a prey to the bottom. So basically, like I said, it's all, all the, you know, all the deep can down the bottom. They're the ones that are just, you know, putting them off from going down there. Um, mm. You know, like you said, they've escaped here to run from their past to a place where they're, they're basically numb. Um, basically, their first de- destination was the um, Galus Ocean. Geus, yes. Geus Ocean, uh, in the realm of light, um, which basically they use whirlways, which are these big whirlpools mm. um, or systems of yeah. whirlpools to travel to other well, parts. Yeah. What, what I really like is that um, it doesn't explain it in this particular section, but they're not actually whirlpools. They're just realm gates that are constantly open. Yes, sorry, yes. Which is yep. really cool, the idea of, like, the currents in the oceans in the model realms are because of these realm gates that are just all the way down there um, mm. feeding water back and forth, which is really cool. Yeah. <laughs> and like I said, it ties in nightly, nicely with the realm gates being a prominent part of a major sigma mm. i think it's really yeah. it's really cool but but I, it, I think it well to me it gives the impression the, that they're whirlpools but to to people that are not deepkin that's how it to me it yeah. comes across anyway yeah. everyone's like um, there's a whirlpool at the bottom and the deepkin yes. like, oh no it's a gate man you press these yeah. three buttons and you open up to <laughs> yes. the realm of light <laughs> <laughs> um so basically they you know they travel to all the different parts and that all there's basically six main factions of the deep king and they all go their separate ways to create different kingdoms in different parts uh, of the world um and then it sort of touched upon mm. the the different factions you've got the largest one is the iron rack is that how we pronounce them mm-hmm. yeah. um which is basically they create a garrison in heish um in their capital 
um, is in Gyron, which is called Prion. Um, mm-hmm. You've got the uh, Dom Hain, um, another mm-hmm. faction who settles in the Black Trough, um, which is in the Beasts. Realm of Beasts. That's it. Mm-hmm. Um, then, which is, <laughs> I think it makes a point here that there's a, this myth of the, there's this basically this long scar on the on the bed where they are that is basically caused by the foot of Gorkamorka when it was fighting the father of uh, Krakagon. Which I, which I thought was really cool. A little big octopus monster versus yeah. a giant orc. Hell yeah. yeah. That. <laughs> that is an awesome myth. Um, and then you've got uh, a quite impulsive faction, which is the Thulan. Wait, yeah. Wait, <laughs> yeah, I think so. Uh, where they've settled in uh, Ashkey um, in the what's called the Mordius Sound, is where they yeah, supposedly end like, up. Um, in, in other parts of the book, again, they talk about where the Foythan live. The water is boiling all the time. So, like, all the other islands are in these <clears> dark, cold places, and they're in this dark, very hot place because at the bottom of an ocean in the plain of fire. Yeah. <laughs> Which all lends to why they're an impulsive faction. <laughs> yeah. yeah they're, 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 they're a hot faction. Um, mm. And then we've got the most sort of secluded faction, which is the uh, Morthan, not the... Mighty Morthin Power Rangers. Um, <laughs> Morthan in Saish, which is, uh, and they got the capital of uh, Mordreki uh, in the Great Quagmire. So they're the, mm. you know, the, the sort of the the secretive de- death like yeah. faction, which we'll we'll touch upon, upon a bit later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so basically all the all the factions have had to fight um, to survive. Understandably, mm. uh, the the Isharan basically found new magic. Um, and one of the, mm. the sort of key things they come across is um, what's called Coralus, which is basically mm. coral builders. So where they, uh, you know, they will use the coral to, you know, basically create their cities um, and yeah. fashion yeah. it into into different things, which is really cool. Um, it mentions yeah. the the tide casters, which basically use air and sea, so they can you can get these situations where non aquatic <laughs> creatures or you know or cre- um, can basically survive in in these where you've got combinations of air and sea yeah. um yeah. which is really cool um you've got the soul scryers which basically learn how to take souls um and then they they've come across a big dependence on the sea creatures as well to as again yeah. part of this survival even though it doesn't always go as easy as they would hope no, <laughs> is it no we get so many just randomly named creatures. You know, you got what is it? A uh, norfish and lampreyax and the gargadon and the thousand tentacle cephalopod and all these <laughs> crazy. Just, I think the writers just had fun and went, "What's a dumb fantasy name for a sea monster?" And it's all through this entire book. It's really great. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it really is. It's it's all these nice little details that they give us just to give us a bit mm. of an insight. Because at times when I, I was reading it, I was thinking, oh, I just wish they would give a bit more detail. And then luckily you'd get that little bit of detail a bit later in the book, which is really yeah. cool. Um, so, yeah, they and then there's also, uh, they talk about what there's a fish, um, a missing faction as well of some mm. sorts that's basically yeah. unaccounted for. Um, yeah. It's like, like and one there, or are two, some, one of, and there are some splinter factions. Yes. As well, yeah, there's a... Yeah, um, there's some new smaller ones. There's the the Nautilar, um, who are really cool because they live on a big sea creature. Mm. Basically, they, uh, <laughs> they, they accidentally they accidentally live on a big sea creature. <laughs> yeah, which is my favorite part. It's like you know they found this great spot, this big this big area of just very smooth rock to start growing coral on, and then it started moving, and they're like, "Well, we're already here." 
<laughs> yeah, sell here. Why not? <laughs> Might as well. <laughs> Um, and then you've got the uh, the Lochnath, which are basically spect- spectral raiders as well, which is really cool. Mm. Um, yeah. Right, what's next? Okay, so yeah, so we've got Unseen the menace. Unseen Menace. Um, yeah, so just to expand, um, so you, you know, like you said, they need souls, and they obviously realise t- to do these raiding parties and and such like that. They obviously need more souls as well because obviously they need yeah. souls, but then they're dying because they're raiding because they naturally will get killed as part of it. So therefore they need more mm. souls as well on top. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they're like, ah, this is getting a bit trickier. Um, so they're, you know, they're learning tactics. And obviously a key thing, like I said at the start, is they need to learn tactics to, you know, keep things secret because obviously that's mm. the whole part of how they, they're successful at what they do. Um, yeah. you know, even yeah. though they're down the bottom of an ocean, they, they still realize that they can't be too prominent to the, outside world because you know they just they're 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 damaged ultimately you know both uh <laughs> physically and mentally from obviously where they've come from so they're very a very yeah. guarded race um so they realize they need to keep themselves safe you know so they and it also expands that they they're not involved in politics really it's not no. you know they're 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 like we've, we're trying to get across they're a very f- focused race on survival so like i said Things like politics, mm. things like um, you know materialistic goods are just not important to them. They've just got to survive. Yeah, yeah. You know that's number one priority. <laughs> um, you know, and it mentions that like the tidecasters can move uh, phalanxes, which are their armies at speed. Um, you know, they can mm. use rivers to go in on land to make these raids. Um, the soul scryers can uh, uh, can be used to tell where the souls are, and this is quite mm. quite cool as well. And they make a point of it that even the soul scryers can sort of tell where the the souls are like prominent areas of souls i.e. what's the mm. what's the maximum amount of souls you can get for your <laughs> for your buck um but they like also make the point all over again yes yeah, that's what i was thinking as well Do a um, farming run yeah yeah basically that's what it is but they ca- what they realize is from a farming point of view is that mm. they can't overtax certain areas because obviously if they yeah. take too many souls from an area then it's going to be redundant then, you know, so they have to sort of, so what they do is they, they sort of spread out quite wide to, you know, to tackle different areas at different times and then go back to an area <laughs> a bit later, go, right. Yeah. They've re they've restocked on souls on souls. Now, you know, they've had a delivery in, um, and uh, we'll, we'll go and raid it again, which yeah, makes perfect yeah. sense. Um, so yeah, so you, it talks about the, the Ishran, Ishran uh, spellcasters and the Eidolons of Mathlan, which we'll get into a bit later. They use the tide and, and stolen souls um, to uh, fall, you know, fall asleep, to never awake again, uh, you know, entranced by sound, you know, all these different tactics they use to, to mm. take out their victims. Um, and then now it also mentions the age of chaos. Um, they had, yeah. you know, obviously, yeah. particularly now it's the age of chaos. They've got, they felt a really strong need to be secretive, even more so yes. than they already yeah. were for understandable reasons. They're trying to uh, keep out the, uh, you know, eye of uh, chaos. Um, mm. So they have basically these rare leader meetings, which are called assembrals, um, mm. where they, you know, all the leaders get together and sort of talk about what they're going to do. Um, you know, it mentions also to the the general populace up above that the idea that they're still quite a myth at this point you know mm, this you yeah. know so like we said sailors are talking about them but no one really has much proof about them they're just like i said just a myth um and what's quite cool as well is the cities have a defense of fish bones and sunken ships around them like a natural mm. <laughs> sort of defense which i think is really yeah. really cool um but um 
But the only problem is at this point now is that um, the seekers and uh, worshippers of Sanesh are getting a bit of a scent, aren't they, Cameron? At this mm. point, there they're sniffing yeah. the air, going, "What's Lots that in the air?" Yeah, <laughs> um, it, it's interesting because just as um, a, a host of the Slaneshi just found an Ideneth attack, so I don't know whether they found one in progress or they just found one immediately after it had happened. But they're like, mm-hmm. something's going on here, and you know, follow the Ideneth all the way back and assault them, and the Ideneth wiped them out. But we get this really great line, which is, "Yet demons are immortal, and keepers of secret often prove to be ill-named." <laughs> which, <Wink>. is, <laughs> which is really funny because yeah it's a it's a weird name if you think about it keepers of secrets and that slaneshi demons they probably aren't keeping any secrets at all <laughs> <laughs> um but you know a hundred years after that archaeon's got all his gaunt summoners and his wizards following these weird bits of magic they can't identify properly and they summon that they summon that keeper of secrets that was part of that attack and He's like, oh, yeah, no, no, there's, there's these weird elves in the water. You wouldn't believe it, man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Archeon sends the sends the Pestilence Skaven after them, which is interesting. Mm. Uh, which, I can't remember if it's exactly in here somewhere, but it's, I have this great mental image of, like, the, the bubble in Coral City, and then just this these clanky, you know put together by spit and prayer submarines crewed by mm-hmm. screaming rats sort of just slowly getting through the yeah they, they took they I, think that, way down there. I think that gets mentioned later there's like pestilence mm. uh sort of like submarines basically that yeah, get sent down yeah. to and they have like really weird drills and things to to sort of dig in and stuff yeah the, the skaven yeah it's, it's, it's quite cool that you find out that they've got a real beef with skaven as well well, like everyone oh, yeah. has in order, everyone, um, but everyone hates Skaven. <laughs> yeah, but they, these particularly have got have quite a few run-ins with them, um, which mm. is quite cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they uh, right, where are we? Uh, yeah, so like you said, the the Gaunt Summoners are, are you know following this magic, don't really understand, mm. and they, they mention a particular keeper of secrets, and is it Slish? <laughs> That's actually his name, Slish, <laughs> the depraved, um, yes. who like I said, who's, who's not destroyed. Um, and then, like I said, the Skaven Laws of Decay are summoned to, to do it. Um, most of them are killed by Idenath, but not all. Um, and it does touch upon roughly now that they, they are making contact with the rest of the Order Grand Alliance, mm. um, yeah. who want them on board, obviously. Um, <laughs> but the Deepkin are not playing ball at this point, really. They're sort of, no. they've got, you know, they're sort of like, maybe, you know, because obviously, again, they're, they, they're a very guarded race. So then they're a bit, hesitant to join the order so they got a bit of a fragile yeah. relationship well there are like there are like the sub factions that are like you know orc souls are okay but you know what's a really good soul to put in an amati a daughter of cain soul or a silver <laughs> soul those are the best <laughs> <laughs> like Which, like again, these iron left that are specialized predators against the other order forces because they're the purer souls the, yeah. the more pure bred souls yeah and like why not <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Huh? We'll just take a few of them off while we're there. <laughs> you can, you can spare it. You can spare a troop of gladiators. Yeah, why not? <laughs> <laughs> so it it uh, touches upon now the uh, the deep kin at war. You've got this little section um, which highlights all sort of their tactics. Um, so you know, like I said, they're based around ambushes, hit and run tactics. They use the ether sea to basically hit the troops. Um, 
you know, before, sorry, they use the ether seed to hit their enemies before the troops basically run in and, mm. and attack. You know, it's all about tricks of light, shapes, you know, confusing yeah. their opponents, which is really cool. Um, you know, you've got literally fists jumping around in the air. Um, and then obviously yeah. at this point, this is when the Namati would attack, which is basically a combination mm. of Reavers and Thralls, their two types. Yeah. Um, it also mentions, like we said before, they've got no eyes. The Kelians are on basically coming on, uh, coming in on beasts, attacking in, and they're very sort of making a big deal about attacking in waves as well <laughs> and that's yeah, not a pun they're yeah. actually literally attacking in different waves like basically battering yeah. um their opponents sort of bit by bit you know you've got the the isharana using what's effectively panic magic magic <laughs> basically yeah, you know, causing their yeah. their opponents to um uh, like I said to panic. Uh, you've got uh, spirit sight picking out targets with bright souls. So you know they'll be going, mm. "Yep, yeah, go for him over there, or go for her over there." They've got <laughs> you know a very nice, tasty soul. Uh, go and grab it. <laughs> um, you know you've got the idolines, the idolon of Mathlan, the, which is basically an incarnation of uh, of water gods inspiring the uh, the rest of the Ideneth. Uh, you know, mm. and basically, like I said before, they leave as quickly as they arrive. That sort of you know that is yeah. how they yeah. they're a very glass cannon. You know, very fragile type of race, oh, yeah, as yeah, you'd imagine, right. like a lot of the elven ones are. Um, but you know, they got their they got their tactics down. They know what they're doing. Um, and this is where we touch upon the different beasts as well, or how they mm. <laughs> they try to have them on board. Um, so basically, they got bond beasts, which they basically learnt to tame the sea creatures. Um, which is they created the Isharan, basically created a school of what's called the Imbalers. Uh, but basically, which is basically where they use magic to wear the creatures down into submission. Because uh, yeah. initially, when they tried to uh, bond with them, uh, the sea creatures basically bit back and <laughs> just wouldn't, yeah. couldn't yeah. be tamed, understandably. Mm. So, um, so yeah, so they, they use, they, like I said, they found a way of magic to basically do that to them um, to the point where they basically put, um, I don't know what you would call them, where they put stuff over Blinders. their eyes. <laughs> Yeah, blinders, blinders. That's it. Yeah. That's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> they put blinders over the sea creatures so they, you know, to basically help parts, you know, to, to tame them. Uh, like I said, it ended in violence initially. Um, and then, like I said, they were, were realized that blinding them worked. Um, you know, they use things like this luminar fish, which they use to light the way. Mm-hmm. Um, you got work, you know, so it's not all attack fish and sea, no, and sea no. creatures. There's worker type fish that they use to, <laughs> you know, to do the yeah. sort of use the, job, uh, I the love, different um, jobs. I love. I love this one, the rock boring drill fish. Aids and <laughs> carving out holes and expanding caves. Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine just giving a thumbs up after it's done it. Done. Yeah. <laughs> done your <Job's> hole. Done. <laughs> <laughs> but like I so said, the main ones are used for war, which is predominantly the Leviathan, the Alapex, and the uh, Fangora eels, which we'll yeah. touch upon a bit later. Really cool. Uh, right. <laughs> What's next? So Let's we've got. See. We've got our so um we've got sort of our timeline page, but yes. in this book it's four pages. <laughs> they've got to cover yeah. a lot, yeah. which is pretty good. Oh. Um, a, a lot of stuff goes on. There's some infighting uh, between certain enclaves as well. So uh, I believe it's Dom Hain actually separates and stops going or stops going to the Emeralds. Yes, or it might be right. Fuethan. No, yeah. it's Fuethan. Um, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know they they lose some artifacts. Uh, they lost. They lost a sword that was given to them by Teclas and things like that. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah. All kinds of things. Um, what is it? Uh, the Skaven actually drain an entire ocean to find them. <laughs> which yeah, is funny. that's really cool. <laughs> yeah, there's 
pull the pull the whole sea out, um, and that actually alerts them to Nagash or Nagash. Yes. Uh, alerts Nagash to them. Of course, Nagash uh, is getting involved. Yeah, because uh, they actually, I think they might touch on it later, but they have a thing in each enclave called a Corillium, which is where they store. Because they're afraid that Slanesh will take their souls after they die, they don't just take uh, the souls of their enemies, they also take their own souls after they die, mm-hmm. and they store them in something called a Corillium, which is sort of this big... It, it's like, uh, it's like... Oh, my brain's... My brain's not working. It's, um... The the Wraith Bone from 40k mm, that yeah. Eldar store, store their souls in. They store them in gems and in soul stones and in Wraith Bone. Yep. It's kind of like that. They store all their souls in there. And when the Kaftar Sea was drained and that enclave there was exposed, their Corellium broke. And Nagash went, where are all these souls coming from? <laughs> yeah. aren't, I me- aren't I meant to have these? Why didn't I have these before? <laughs> <laughs> He's thinking, not again! Because <laughs> obviously, when we talk about the daughters of Cain, like, you know, where you've got Marathi, like, mm. nicking them as well. She's like, he's like, yeah. everyone, stop taking my souls, they're mine! <laughs> I'm the Lord of Undeath, yet I have only, you know, several trillion souls in my holes. What is this? I want I them all! Many more. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, you know, the stirring of Selenesh is, again, being talked about, so I'm really looking forward to, you know, servants of Selenesh future battle tome maybe mm-hmm. that'd be great uh, and then we get to something which isn't has not actually been super touched on yet in the general war but the necroquake which i think yeah. might be the the sort of the climax to malign portents which is still ongoing technically yeah. they had they had the campaign is over but there's still lots more malign portent stuff to come throughout the year uh basically nagash's ultimate spell goes off there's necromantic energy everywhere and all the reservoirs of death magic are pulled into one point that sinks through all the underworlds in Shaish. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's it's uh, it's letting a lot of a lot of undead be all over the place at once. I believe yes. is the purpose of that spell. Yeah, and even even underwater, because basically the the Neckquake basically causes the Ideneth Deepkin to join the other forces of order. They sort of realise yeah. that they can't be. Yeah. You know, they're getting like you said, they're getting exposed now. They're sort of, they're realizing, yeah. oh, okay, we need to join this team now. Yeah. Um, and they've actually made themselves very vulnerable because each enclave is surrounded by the ocean bed all around them is like the skeletons of dead giant underwater yeah, predators. Exactly. And now yeah. Nagash has animated every dead thing in the, on the, in the model realms, apparently. So <laughs> not <laughs> it's cool. Bit, it's a bit awkward. <laughs> not cool. Not great. <laughs> but no, it's, it's great. The timeline is really good actually. Cause it, mm. like I said, it just gives you these little, little nuggets of information. Like I said, yeah. you've got them fighting with, um, the Skaven. Uh, you, mm. you see the mention also of, um, Volturnos, which is their sort of main yes. king. Their high will, king. Yep. We'll uh, touch upon shortly. Um, yeah, it's, you know, like I said, it just sort of shows they're in mm. fighting am- amongst themselves. It's actually yeah. a, a civil war, uh, which basically yeah. ends up in honor duels between Achillean kings. Mm. Um, yeah. And what well, I, um, you, you mentioned Volturnos. One bit I really like in here is the um, the Umbral Sea ambush, which is Marathi gets in contact with Volturnos and is like, hey, we should work <laughs> yeah. things out and have an alliance. And Volturnos is like, yes, yes, excellent. We'll be friends with the daughters of Cain. The Kraith will stop killing us. Ah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, all those Kraith. And Eddie goes to see Marathi and is like, Hi, I'm Marathi. Jokes, I'm actually the mask of Slanesh. Yes, I <laughs> know. Oh, I, I can't believe he really fell for great. it. Well, I mean, it's Marathi. She's basically a Slaneshi demon at this point. Yeah, that's true. Like, it's very easy for a Slaneshi demon to pretend to be her, I guess. Mm. 
And that's what accounts for him losing his eye as well. Mm. But he escapes so, yes. by the skin mm. of his teeth. Missing an oh, eye. Um, yeah, missing an eye. So he's got a cool eye patch. Yeah. You know, character to make, to make him look like a pirate, obviously. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so the next bit is it covers uh, a bit more about the uh, Isharan and the Achillean. Um, like mm-hmm. I know we're sort of summarising again, but yeah, like he says, full souls, leaders of the Ideneth, one in a hundred. Mm-hmm. They be, the Isharan use magic to build, heal, soul harvesting and war. Um, so they're basically Isharan are identified by soul scryers and sent to a particular school which is called the mm. Tur Scroll, uh, mm. which is basically a school of learning, and they pick what they want to do. They go, they turn up on the day. Yeah. All right, what do you want to do? Um, I want to manipulate souls. Oh, okay. Uh, go to oh, the right. There you go. Uh, <laughs> so, pick up uh, your fish hook and your lantern. Yeah, off you go, son. Uh, tidecasters manipulate the ocean. Uh, soul scryers navigate the dark using uh, spirit light, and soul renders uh, remove animus. Soul wardens preserve souls, um, and you've got true hit. True Helles, uh, healers, uh, and like we said before, embalers are the ones to tame the creatures, and the uh, Coralus are there to build structures out of coral. Um, mm. And that's from the Archelian point of view. Uh, they're entered into the uh, Azadrazor, uh, yeah. which is basically yeah. like a, a military school uh, to study mm. military things and train. They basically train for decades because, obviously, like you said, they've got the, the years on them, <laughs> unlike yeah. the Namati, yeah. uh, to do this sort of thing. Um, so they they basically they do try. They have to pass like trials of endurance, mm. and uh, yeah. yeah, they basically start off as novices on part of a crew, and then they eventually hopefully become riders, as you'd expect. Mm. Um, yeah. And basically, the phalanx is led by a king or a queen. Uh, enclaves seek cast balance um apart from the fulan oh, um, because basically they you know they realize that there does need to be a balance it can't be sort of two yeah. in one favor because it doesn't sort of really work um but it does make a point as well actually that they don't actually have any understanding on how the offspring can be of any of the three casts so even yeah. you know you could be perfect you know physically perfect mentally soul you know you, you're part of the achillean or the Israel, but you could still give birth to namati basically you can still yeah, you know there, there's yeah. no or vice versa you could be namati and you have a uh isharan baby yeah. basically there's no yeah. there's no logic to it it's just it's just pure yeah. random you know unless we get told otherwise it's pure random you know what combination yeah. you yeah. can have so it, it actually makes the point that that their sort of hierarchy isn't based around uh, like, oh, you come from that family, so you must be, you know, yeah. like, you know, like some nobles would. It is literally just mm-hmm. down to how you are, you know. So, like I said, yeah. you could have, uh, you know, two two Isharan parents, and then they have an Amati child, and you know, and therefore ends up being a worker oh. or a, a yeah. you know, a thrall to <laughs> to gain yeah. some soul. You know, it doesn't. They get sort of <laughs> cast down to the bottom of the barrel. Mm. So it's yeah. um, quite interesting that. Um, right. Okay, uh, and then it briefly touches upon sort of their military structure, mm-hmm. um, which is sort of how you'd imagine it to be. You know, it's it's all about enclaves, and then you've got the phalanxes, which is, like I said, the armies, you got, which is basically yeah. a combination of Namati infantry, Achillean uh, cavalry, and basically the Sharan providing support. Mm. Um, yeah, you know, you've got, I like that um, I like that the leading group for each phalanx is usually an Achillean king or queen, a Tidecaster, mm-hmm. and a Soul Scryer, so it's like a little royal council, council yeah. kind of unit. Which sort of that, that sort of summarizes things because you, you've got this 
Like I said, this army is a, from a law and from a sort of rules point of view, is all based about synergy between, you know, the, these mm. things have to be there. You have to have Tidecasters, you have to have Soul Scries, you have to have Soul Wardens, you know, because if they didn't, you know, having the, having these missing parts of, you know, and these yeah. cogs it's for it to work, it's, it's really, you know, it's mm. all intricately balanced, which is really cool. Um, <laughs> and it, it makes a point as well that the Soul Warden is, uh, is separate to the rest of them. Basically, you know, the Soul yeah. Warden is a planner. Uh, so not on the battlefield mm-hmm. and basically the aces with uh uh incubati which is basically the keeper of souls and the soul scries who are basically they're calculating the souls gained versus lost <laughs> so they're basically they're yeah. doing they're doing the admin work they're doing the calculating the maths <laughs> they're number crunching is basically this, going is it is worth us attacking the faction, them is this the faction that really keeps that kd ratio um, really well calculated. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're not getting involved. If my if my KD is going under one point five, I don't want to get involved. Thank you. <laughs> oh god, that's 1. what they're doing. Be really bad for them, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's quite cool need- because it, again, it, it summarizes that everything has to be. You know, they they can't be risky with what they do. They have to. Be, everything has to be quite calculated because of how fragile yeah. they are and how sort of damaged they are. They they you know they can't just. Oh, we'll just go and do that. If it's not worth it, they don't do it, basically, unless obviously yeah, they're forced yeah. into a situation where they're attacked. But I think that's a mm. really, really cool way of doing it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so yeah. as you expect, the troops form most of the armies. Uh, all all Achilleans perform military duty. Um, basically, promotions are earned through skill, um, mm. as you'd expect. Uh, not And like we said before, not all the Namati fight. You know, some of them are basically labourers, no. again, as you would expect. Yeah. I um I like that little bit. This is um the Namati who are selected to join a phalanx uh, do it willingly because they understand the need to acquire more souls, which is really cool because um the Lethlan in Daughters of Cain they are they don't really think they don't feel properly they're barely people, but this shows that the Namati for the Ardeneth Deepin are ah, they're normal people who just understand yeah I'm gonna die in like thirty years if <laughs> yeah, we don't go yeah. raiding. <laughs> Like I got, I got my two souls when I was born. That's all I got for free. I got to go raid. Need <laughs> more, please. <laughs> right. So, yeah. um, it then touches upon the different enclaves as well. Do you want to have a get yeah. those, Cameron? Yeah, sure. So uh, we start out with our biggest enclave, which are the Iron Rock, uh, which are kind of all over the place. They're the they're the friendly Ardeneth Deacon. They're the ones that are working... <laughs> friendly neighbourhood Deacon. <laughs> yeah, friendly neighbourhood Deacon. They're the ones that are working really hard to build up good sort of alliances with other members of the Order faction. Like, you know, they try and try their best to work with the Sylvaneth and the Stormcast and Fire Slayers and all that. Um, and apparently the Spirits of Ironrack actually blaze brightest, blaze brightest, Blaze brightest, good lord. Um, <laughs> and they live the longest out of any of the Deepkin... Uh, so they they they're kind of the they're what Teclas was aiming for, yeah. Uh, but still beaten down into the actual form of Ideneth, I suppose. Like, but they are they're sort of the the pinnacle of Ideneth. They they are cultured. They live a long time. Uh, they have all their stuff together. You know, they've got. We need to rate this exact number. We need no more, no less, etc. Uh, and also we've got, you know, we've got a Lord Sellison from Stormcast coming tomorrow, so make sure we've got a bigger chair, because we need to talk to him and convince him that, no, he shouldn't exterminate us, and he should help us exterminate those orcs. Uh, all that kind of stuff. Um, then you've got Domhain, uh, which are considered very headstrong and sort of savage by mm-hmm. the other enclaves, and they settled in the realm of beasts. Um, 
And their name actually means deep questers because they mm-hmm. went as deep as they could because the further they went down, the more horrible the monsters in the ocean got. So they kept going further and further and further <laughs> down. Uh, but they were too proud to seek help and didn't and didn't want to admit that uh, the other Idneth's warnings were true. Uh, so they just, you know, got as deep as they could, built a city into the walls of this sort of undersea trough uh, and are well known for sort of beast masters and hit and run tactics. Yeah. Because they got a lot more animals to draw from. Exactly. Uh, and they, with, they, it also yeah. makes a point that they lost half their um, population yeah. on the journey as well, as you were saying about them yeah. going deeper. So they're a bit, they're a bit too headstrong in some ways. They, Maybe. Uh, <laughs> um, and yeah, actually they were, um, they were the first to learn to shape coral as well, I think. Yeah. Remembering, which yeah. is, which is interesting. Cool. Yeah. Um, then the Fuethan who settled in the realm of fire are, uh, they're pretty brash. They're pretty hot tempered. Um, <laughs> they are blamed by the other enclaves for instigating the civil war, uh, mm-hmm. which lasted over 200 years, which is a long time. <laughs> That's a hell uh, of a war. Civil war to last. Um, no one says that around them though, because, uh, <laughs> Not worth they don't it. have patience for that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, they are also very militant. Like, if you have the slightest physical ability, you're becoming an Achillean. Uh, screw that Ishran nonsense. Uh, we don't need as many of those. <laughs> um, and it says, even when their Corellium, their sort of their soul cupboard, as it was, is filled to bursting, they still go raiding. Because yep. they like fighting. They just want to fight. <laughs> <laughs> uh, awesome. They only retreat when all the foes are dead. Um, and they also recruit the most dangerous breeds of beast. Yeah. Uh, I think actually a little bit earlier, let me find it. There was a little side note about them. Uh, da, 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 da. Yeah, uh, one time they unleashed a flame spewing spiny guillotin, which I've no idea what that is, against a Chaos Army. But no one wants to ask if they actually bonded it or if it was just a nearby wild creature that they sort of pushed <laughs> towards the army. <laughs> which was really... <laughs> but we don't know if you actually tamed that or if you just like pointed it in the right direction, but okay. <laughs> it obviously worked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and then we have. We've got the Morphan, uh, who settled in the realm of death. Uh, they a strange sheen seems to cover the elves of this enclave when they emerge, so they're kind of greasy, oily boys. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they sound delightful. <laughs> yeah, um, they're really good at soul magic. Uh, they are really good at raising Namati as they fall in battle. So um, yep. they've got a lot of soul renders, the the unit that can pull souls out of enemy units, put them into recently dead Namati, and basically bring them back from the brink of death, mm-hmm. bring them back into the fight. Um, they have this pale skin and they've got these glowing eyes, at least the Achaeans and the Ishran do, the Namadi clearly don't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, when they close in for close combat, their eyes roll back to show just the whites. Uh, very creepy. Well done. Um, but Nagash is, Nagash is now aware that uh, they live somewhere in the Great Quagmire, which um, I believe the description of that is it is a giant ocean, but the top like mile of it is just these bloated corpses stacked into the water, which is probably why it's so oily there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's not a great place to live. Um, we have some offshoot branches as well. We have the Nautila, who settled yep. on top of a giant sea creature. They're really cool. Uh, they actually started in um, Haish. I believe, but the Nautila, uh, or the Scaphodon, I believe it's called, that they settled on actually traveled through one of the underwater realm gates into the uh, realm of beasts. Which yes, is really that's right. Cool. 
Yeah, they ended up. Uh, they ended up somewhere else. I believe that's right. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Um. Yeah, and then the Brionda come from the realm of life, and they are they are the hope and pride of the of the Eidneth because uh their their Isharan are much better at soul and healing magic, and mm-hmm. believe they may have unlocked the method to heal Namadi souls. Yes. Properly. Which, yeah. I mean, it will never happen because the faction needs to stay like this to be unique and flavorful. Yeah, but it's yeah exactly. Cool from the law <laughs> we don't want that to happen. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the for the Briomda, I really like their the colors for their eels. They have this sort of turquoise and orange. Yeah, very fancy. Yeah. <laughs> mm. uh, cool. Each of these have really great... By the way, the art in this book is fantastic. Oh, it's amazing. Really fantastic, beautiful art. Yeah. Uh, turn into the Whirlways page, and there's even more great art. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just more art. Yeah, so we we kind of also get a two-page map of kind of how the Whirlways are spread out between each other, so mm-hmm. how they link. Yep. Uh, which is there's at least two in each realm, so they've got they're able to get pretty much anywhere nice and quickly. So yeah, nice. Oh. Um, so yeah, they then move on to the different units and uh yeah. of the uh of the deep kin uh so it starts with the uh what does it start with uh the idolons of rathlan or mathlan mm-hmm. my notes say mathlan <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh which are basically collective manifestations of ancestral souls um and they're basically yeah. created by the the energies of the past as mathlan is you know, is dead mm. as we already dead. said. Um, you know, and like I said, the the Ideneth have basically collected the souls in in the Carillium, as we spoke about, mm. uh, to stop Slash getting them. Um, and basically, guarding the coral reef, leaders will summon an Eidolon um, to do that. And basically, it's a collection of their souls and a com- and what's really cool, a combination of memories as well mm. to form this yeah. this avatar, basically. Um, yeah. Comes in two different forms, which is the storm and the sea, which is basically melee or a caster. And so you've got, um, so the, uh, let me go right. So one of them, I said the storm version, which is the melee version, yeah. uh, comes with a, it comes as basically a, appears as a tidal wave. It's armed with a, a spear, which is called a, uh, futar. Like I've, I've butchered mm. that, but um, which is a phantom <laughs> weapon of fury, um, and yeah. also is armed with a a barbed cruel hook, which is basically used yeah. to snare enemies in, as well. Yeah. Uh, and basically, the the sea version uh, is armed with a deep sea scepter, uh, which is used to sort of summons mists and ether, and it also can use uh, ether sea ether sea uh, to heal troops, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, and obviously, as part of it, is to help scare the opponents as well, so it makes enemies flee. Uh, and basically, yeah. once it's finished, it will return to the coral. Or what happens in the case if they die, uh, the souls are lost, and if the soul renders, can't get to them, mm. basically. So yeah. <laughs> Eidolon goes down, there's a soul render rushing over, <laughs> like trying to catch oh, him in the end. No, no. <laughs> yeah, who's right? Get in the bag. Get in the bag. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which is really cool. But I mean, as we, yeah. as you, you know, anyone that's seen these, they are probably the most imp- physically impressive looking miniature of this whole mm. army, to be honest. The, oh, the idol ones look ridiculous. amazing. But they spoke, they're yeah. supposed to be very fragile as well, physically as well. Like, as in the amount mm. of people on Twitter that are putting like the spears breaking off <laughs> and in transit, you've got to oh, be very careful man. if you buy one of these. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, yeah. 
But uh, we, yeah, then moves on to the Achillean kings, which are basically the yep. uh, the warlords. Uh, so they're on a, a deep mare mount, which is mm-hmm. like a, I don't know, a, a unicorn, unicorn seahorse thing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> something like that, um, which is, you know, it's got horns, claw, bite, as you would imagine. Uh, yeah, you know, king, the, the kings lead the charge. Uh, and basically to be the king, you have to be a as you would expect, a skilled fighter and leader. Uh, also, you have to be mm. a, a slight politician, which I know slightly goes yeah. against what I said earlier, where they're not interested in politics, but obviously amongst themselves. <laughs> they're not interested into intersectional politics. They're That's right, yeah. They're interested in their own nonsense. Own politics, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and they're armed with either a shield and either a pole arm, which is called a, a rompahaya, uh, or a greatsword, which, which is an astra trom. Uh, or sometimes they'll swap the shield out for a falchion as well. Um and yep. it highlights also about like, who we spoke about before, which is High King uh, Volturnos. He's the, the guy he with the eye patch. super cool. He's so amazing. His, his deal is he is the last soul to be eaten by Slanesh and the yes. very first to be brought back out. Yes, that's what they Some say. Some people don't believe that, but all the other enclaves are like, no, he's the real deal. <laughs> yeah, especially um, uh, um, the main faction. Uh, really. Yeah, Iron Rock. Oh, Mark, that's it. They, uh, they really, they really love him. Yeah. <laughs> and like I said, and he's, he's gonna... black. Sorry, Cam. Mm, here you go. Here you go. Um, I was going to say he, he basically, supposedly, he survived Teclas's light of truth. So that, yeah, um, spell that he cast to deal with them. Uh, he basically becomes the king after the the battle of the Flotsam Isles. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you yeah. said, legend says he's one of the first souls. Uh, he rides uh, Usal. Which is basically mm-hmm. the prince of the deep mares. So he's got a very special deep mare, as you'd yeah. expect. Uh, and he's armed with the Astrosolus, which is the blade of light, which was given to him by mm-hmm. Teclis. And he's got a shield, which is called Seelith, uh, which basically mm-hmm. swallows hostile magic. Which yeah, is really cool. Really cool. Yeah. And he has a really great little character portrait on his page. Oh, he looks it awesome. Him, like, something with this army is they look. Very dark elder. Like I was just about ish. to say that, especially yeah, that photo, that, that, that little picture portrait. Of him. Yeah. yeah, he looks like he looks like an archon sitting on the throne. He's got that very stern, haughty, but incredibly pale and drawn face, and he also has black lipstick for style. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he does what he wants. <laughs> He's the high king, man. <laughs> exactly. He can do what he wants. Um, yeah. So yeah, then it goes upon talks about the uh, Ishran agents so the various different mm-hmm. types of uh, caster so you've got the, I said we've got the tide casters which create you yeah. can see despair magic and they drown their victims in fear mm-hmm. uh, you've got the soul renders which fight on the front lines um, the helm has this really cool little lure look <laughs> sorry lure yeah, light I should say yeah, yeah. It's, it's really cool but uh, it makes, makes sense because basically that's what absorbs the souls um, yeah. and like you said it can heal the marty um, and also they're armed with a hook pole arm, which is called a talon hook. Um, basically, mm-hmm. is used to snare fleeing enemies. So they f- snare them in, and then the Marty jump in, hack them to pieces. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So uh, you've got the soul scryers with compasses. To, yep. So these guys are interesting because they help uh, They help people's, the, they help the Namati and the Achillean sort of move around the battlefield more effectively, and they are the soul scryers. They're the ones who guide... The uh, the Eidneth as a whole towards concentrations of souls, mm-hmm. um, and we also have this isn't uh, soul wardens in general, but this is a specific named character. He's a Lotan warden of the soul ledgers, who is the um, only soul lord, soul warden who goes out into actual combat. 
because, uh, you know, someone needs to be there counting. Clearly, the Damani aren't going to do it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's like um, a tally man, isn't he, out of um, yeah, he, Death Guard? Yeah, exactly, yeah. He's, he's exactly that, uh, except he's not counting for a particular number. He's just keeping count of everything. <laughs> yeah, basically, um, yeah. Uh, he, but he's got such a commitment to his duty that his willpower actually stains the ether sea around him and sort of turns it into an invigorating fluid for mm-hmm. uh, Namadi and Achilleans. Um, what's really interesting about the Isharan is that they are all accompanied by minor bond beasts, so just these fish that they've tamed. Uh, you know, the Tidecaster has like a little, it lo- almost looks like an adult salmon or a barracuda. Uh, the Soul Render has a swordfish. The Soul Scryer has a little pack of piranha things. And then Lotan has a giant octopus with a sword and a club and an inkpot and a pen. <laughs> I just love it's got a, a club as well. It's <laughs> yeah. popping people on the head. <laughs> yeah, it's really awesome. Um, they're called the Octar, I believe is what yes, the Octar, octar yeah. are called. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, after that, we have Achillean Cavalry, mm-hmm. uh, which, again, the art for these guys is awesome. It's the Fangmora eels running down ogres, it looks like. Yep, looks like it. Yeah, uh, fantastic art. Um, they sort of talk about how the Achillean Guard, which are mounted on the Fangmora Eels, they sort of they really emphasize these rapid assaults, sudden retreat, run and sort of fight and run, hit and run warfare things. Uh, the eel is massive uh, and very <laughs> yep. fast. Yep, um, they can hunt in packs or are ambush hunters, depending on the breed. Uh, it doesn't have any in-game effect, but they, you know, stun prey with their tails. They can generate an electric charge. So they're elves on electric eels, not just elves on eels. Because uh- <laughs> <laughs> what would be the fun without having them being electric? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, before the creation of the Embalers, a lot of Ideneth got killed trying to tame these eels, but... Apparently they needed the specific beast breakers to be able to tame these. Uh, they come in two forms. We've got Morsar Guard, who have spears and shields, and these are the more offensive ones. They can sort of gather the electricity from their mount and short it, sh- short it, shoot it at short range. Good lord. Uh, mouth all over the place today. Uh, shoot it at short <laughs> range. Um, apparently a common tactic for an Achillean king is to get Namadi thralls to sort of tie down an enemy unit and then have the Morsar guard come in from the rear, the flank, or even from overhead, because they can fly through the ether sea. Why not? Yep. Um, and there is a war story of a formation of Morsar guards so, la- so large that the brightness of their combined electric blast left the entire enemy army blinded, uh, which is pretty ridiculous. <laughs> Yep. Um, and then the other form is the Ishlaian Guard, where they have a sword and shield instead of spear and shield. Uh, and instead of using the natural electricity of the eels to attack, they use it to defend. They channel it into their shields. Um, and they are really great at shrugging off missile fire because of that. Um, you know, and then they have the Glorious Elite sidebar, where certain factions have tamed more dangerous forms of eels. For example, the Fuethan have uh, tamed diamond-backed red-finned Fangmora, who have these ferocious feeding frenzies that make them even more dangerous than the Alopexes. Um, and the Morphan ride ghost Fangmoras that blend in with mists, which are really nice. cool. Yeah. 
Uh, do you want to cover the Leviadon? Yes. Yeah, so we get to the <laughs> the creatures now. So you've got the Archelian uh, Leviadons, which is obviously the big mm-hmm. turtle, giant turtle-like oh, creature, yeah. uh, which has yeah, basically got pow- big, powerful jaws and scythe mm-hmm. fins. Um, it's armed with uh, harpoon launchers on its top uh, mm-hmm. and hook with and with also with hooks and blades. It's great because, mm-hmm. like I said, they put actually blades on the with all these creatures. They try and put blades on yeah. their fins, and which I think is. Great tactic. Um, (laughs) So uh, basically the leader, which is called the Mahar, is armed with a uh, a twin twin pronged spear on top. And basically Mm. the these uh, Leviathans become battering rams, as you would expect, um, smash through the enemy. Um, And then you've got uh, a couple of masked Marty um, who are using a drum Mm. to basically disrupt disrupt, uh, missile fire as well. So they're just smacking a drum and it's creating this sort of... uh, shield to protect them which yeah is what, awesome. what i really like is um it's it's an interaction with the ether sea because yes. like it it's like think about it, it's like just dropping rocks into water if you make a big enough vibration there are ripples that suddenly you can't see anything properly and that's the idea there which is really cool as like an explanation for missile defense as opposed yeah. to like uh the daughter of cain cauldron of blood which is mm. just like uh, the blood mist generates gives you plus one armor for some reason. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure why. No, no. no it's, it's really cool. Yeah. Um, you've got uh, then you've got the Achillean uh, Alaplexes, which is the sort of shark-like uh, yep. creatures, which again are sickle-finned tails, uh, serrated mm. teeth, uh, and uh, they're always hungry. Like 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 mm-hmm. all of us, um, yep. and uh, so they've got blades <laughs> attached to their fins, um, and they're armed with a harpoon launcher, which uh, is called Whispering Death, which is a great name. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, they've got two types of ammunition they can use in these uh, loot launchers. You've got uh, razor shell bolts, which are basically for quick fire mm-hmm. attacks uh, to get yep. you know rid of uh, multiple infantry. Or you've got the retarious nets, which is basically this is amazing. It's basically the nets are made of siren hair, uh, which mm-hmm. they will you know hit. It's used mainly for like a single target. So they will launch yeah. this uh, this net on their target, and literally as they're trying to sort of rip themselves out of the net because of how strong siren hair is it's literally ripping their bodies apart as they're yeah, sort of yeah. you know fighting to get it's, out of it which is amazing it's the uh it's the hunting net from predator <laughs> yes yeah good <laughs> i thought of that good point yeah yeah so that's basically what it's so that's that's really cool um mm. so then the sort of last bit that we get onto of all the different troops, obviously, is the uh, the Namati. As we said, they usually live 30 to 40 years unless they find a new soul. Um, they're basically given an iron collar and a half-soul rune on their forehead mm. just to, you know, just to put them in their place, <laughs> to remind them who they are. Well, um, apparently, it's necessary for putting new souls in them. Yes, supposedly. But I think there's still a bit of putting someone in their place. Oh, yeah. You know, your bottom of the barrel. There, there definitely is. Yeah, um, and I said no eyes. Um, basically, they come in two two types. Uh, you got the Thrals, which is the melee version, uh, the main infantry, mm-hmm. uh, and obviously they've got a very high death count because they're the ones getting stuck in ravenous for souls. Yeah. Um, they uh, and obviously that's their incentive to is to get the souls. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're armed with a, a, a Lamari, which is a, a double handed sword uh, or a great. Well, actually, sorry, this is the. I think the name of all their weapons, but it's, which is mm, basically either a yeah. double-handed so- uh, sword, a great scythe, axe, or a pole arm. Uh, like you said before, it's just something they can just swing around yeah, <laughs> while they're feeling yeah. the vibrations. <laughs> <laughs> no point having little little mini daggers and stuff. No, just throw, just <laughs> throw a big scythe around. Yeah. 
um, and you've got the other kind, which is the Reavers, which is the uh, artillery version, which is basically their archers uh, or scouts. Yeah. Um, they're armed with silent whisper bows uh, and short blades, um, and obviously they're they're all about being quick. Um, they're basically they take out, they they aim using electromagnetic pulses, you know, because obviously due yeah, to the lack of eyes. Awesome. Um, but yeah. the sort of which is makes them as deadly as any other archer. But the sort of slight downside is uh, they must remain relatively close to their target because the further they get yeah. away, they can't use the pulses and they won't be able yeah. to target them. Which is reflected in game because for a ranged unit, they are incredibly short range. They're like yeah, eight exactly. inches or something yeah. like that, <laughs> or nine inches if they're actually aiming. <laughs> like so, they're very short range missile fire. <laughs> yes, basically. But then yeah. to be fair, you're going to get them stuck in with all the rest of them anyway because this is not oh, a. Yeah. This is a very get stuck in army. <laughs> to be fair, you're not mm. uh, holding back with these. Um, so yeah, so that's the that's basically the 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 bulk of the lore in the background. That's all fifty odd pages of it. Um, the yeah, sort of next part of the book is the heavy metal section, yeah, which cool. is glorious, as you would oh, imagine. So good. Explaining how, how you can paint your deep kin, um, which is really great. They've got a whole bunch of different ways to paint. Not only like the different enclaves, but different ways to do skin. Yeah. Different advice on doing different sea creatures and stuff like that as well. There's like a ton of really great stuff in here. Yeah, which I think comes with with how more developed the battle tomes are getting. Which that's what I think I said before. Where I feel sorry with some of the earlier battle tomes where they're not as Mm. detailed, or you know. But then I suppose that's time. You know, with time comes improvement. So obviously, you know, these these newer battle tomes just have a bit more in them than the older ones don't. But uh, unfortunately, that happens. Um, right, so we'll, like I said, we'll, yeah. we will cover the rules now, but we won't try and get too bogged down in it, because <laughs> like I said, we'll be yeah. here forever doing that, so we'll just oh, sort of, yeah. just talk about the highlights of the different, uh, things on this, mm. so we won't, so we won't yeah. try not to go Shall into Shall we start too... with the, um, start with the allegiance abilities? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Yeah, so, um, so if you're playing all Ideneth Deepkin, you get some pretty good bonuses, so mm. the first one is Forgotten Nightmares, so this represents their memory altering magic. Uh, so, as soon as you see them, you forget about them. Uh, which is, in in the shooting phase, or any time actually, missile weapons can only target the closest visible Ideneth Deepkin unit. Which is basically 40k character rules, but for the entire army. Yes. Crazy good. <laughs> that is really, really like, good. People, people before the release of this battle turn were looking at the Eidolon and going, that's a super cool model, it, its stats are great from the leak. But how are we going to protect it? Because while it's got good stats, it's only got 12 wounds and mm-hmm. you know a decent save, but a dedicated shooting army will whittle down. This is how. You put 10 thralls in front of it, and those are the only things you can see because the ether sees distorting people's memories and distorting people's actual sight. So that's really awesome. Um, and then in a similar way to Daughters of Cain, they get a rule called Tides of Death. Now, Daughters of Cain got a blood rights battle table which each turn you got an additional bonus it was cumulative uh this is each turn you get a different bonus which is replaced each turn so it's not cumulative yep uh but basically in the first turn everyone is in cover because the sea is refracting around you and you can't be seen properly uh second turn you can still shoot or charge after you run because the ether sea is literally pushing the entire army forwards <laughs> Third turn is high tide, where the ether sea is crushing the opposition and making them slower. So you get to fight first, no matter what. Even if that an enemy really charges, good. you still fight first, and then after that you alternate, which is ridiculous. Um, 
In turn four, we get ebb tide, so the Ether Sea retreats slightly. It's like waves rolling on the beach. Mm-hmm. And if you retreat, you can still shoot or still charge, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. And then after that, it repeats from step one for subsequent turns. Yeah. That is really good. I, I love the synergy of that. I love the fact that it's mm. all about waves and tides and things like that. It just makes so much perfect yeah. sense. And they, that's oh, they're really, really good as well, especially that one where you can attack mm. first no matter what. That is really powerful. Yeah. Um, and like, it makes you predictable to a degree, but there's such powerful bonuses that I don't think it matters too no, much. As long totally as agree. Yeah, I agree well. with that. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, turn three, they want to be in combat by then, but they're going to be in combat by then if they're playing well. <laughs> yeah, well, you'd hope so. <laughs> yeah. Um, right, so then we've got the uh, command traits, which is for, obviously, if you've mm-hmm. got an Ideneth Deepkin hero. Um, so you've got six to choose from. Uh, I mean, the one that I thought was quite notable mm-hmm. is called Born yeah. from Agony. Yeah, um, yep, which I is, thought so. <laughs> which is the fourth one, uh, which is basically quite a simple one. Increase this general's wounds characteristic by two, I think. Yeah. It can't go wrong with two extra wounds. No, so, I'll uh, take which that. is the unimaginable suffering they endured within Slanesh has made them immune to pain. Yeah, that's <laughs> that, all that numbness fair. coming back. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would say an equally good one, but much more situational, is number three, Unstoppable Fury, which is you add two to the attacks of any weapon used by the general in any battle round when high tide is in effect. Yeah, the thing is, yeah, Age of Sigma, you, if you make your general, say, a, an aspect of the Storm Eidolon, He's getting two attacks with the hook and the spear extra in the high tide turn, which is a lot. Yeah, of stuff to that's add on. a fair point. Yeah, like, yeah, and the um the ether shoal as well that he gets, I believe. But th- these are all pretty good, uh, pretty good bonuses. But I yeah. think those two are probably the standout ones. Well, yeah, because like you said, most of them are sort of good but situational. Whereas, like I said, I think born from agony is great because more wounds oh, yeah. is never a bad thing. And like you said, that unstoppable fury that could really pay off. If you're in the mm, right situation yeah. on uh, turn three. Um, yeah. Right. So then we've got the artifacts of power. Um, mm. So the first table we've got here, which is the uh, Achillean artifacts. Uh, so mm. for me, the notable one I picked was number five, which is the Bioshock shell, uh, which yep. is a mollusk yep. shell that's <laughs> been fossilized, fossilized within a Fangora den for over thousands of years. Basically, once per battle at the start of the combat phase, you can say that the bearer will use the shell. If you do so, each enemy unit within three inches of the bearer suffers D3 mortal wounds. Bang. <laughs> Guar- guaranteed, not a rolling on a four up they take it, just guaranteed D3. Yes, that's it. That's yeah. That could be that could be a real good payoff in the, again, in the right mm. situation. Yeah. Um, my personal favorite on the Achillean artifacts is actually number six, the Abyssal Blade. Um, so this thing's got like a full paragraph in its law description, but yeah, basically, it actually, yeah. The, so the Carillium is a is a group of still conscious and sentient uh, I don't know, souls, and the Abyssal Blade is made by pulling all the darkest and most hateful thoughts out of that stew and sticking a sword in it to temper it. Um, it gives, it gives, it gives, uh, one weapon carried by the general an additional one ram. So it goes ram negative one to ram negative two, for example. And if you're targeting something with the Solanesh keyword, you get an additional point of damage. Mm, that's which good. can be really great. Again, you stick that on, say, aspect of the storm spear against Solanesh. That thing can be doing four damage per hit on the charge. Mm, nasty. <laughs> Pretty nasty. Right, okay, next is the Ideneth Artifacts, um, mm-hmm. and my pick on this one was the Terranite Venom, 
um, which is number four. Uh, so basically, pick a we- pick a weapon carried by the bearer to be coated with Terranite Venom. Uh, re-roll mm. wound rolls of one for that weapon. In addition, subtract one from the bravery characteristic of enemy units that suffer any wounds from this weapon for the rest of the battle. So, so yeah. I think that's re- that again. That can be really. But the fact he's got it for the rest of the battle as well. That's really yeah. good. Well, on the yeah. bravery side of things. So. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's yeah. that's quite because I didn't I didn't find the artifacts on this one that amazing, but I just thought that was yeah. to me the standout one out of all of them. Yeah, um, I think my favorite is probably Cloud of Midnight number five, which is you've basically filled a vial with octopus ink, um, <laughs> and at once per battle at the start of any phase, uh, you can smash this bottle to release the Cloud of Midnight. If you do so, you cannot be targeted by attack spells or abilities for the rest of the phase but you can't attack or use spells or abilities for that phase. So it's like, I need my general to stay alive just for this last turn. It's the last turn of the game. If they kill him, they'll get some victory points in my yeah. win. We're in the fight phase. Smash this. I don't fight, but you can't hurt me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's pretty handy like that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, um, then we have Isharan artifacts. Yep. Which... Uh, I'm going to say it right now. My favorite is the Brain Barnacle. Yeah, that's on my list. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. So um, th- basically, if you've got a wizard general, he's carrying a little bottle of these around. Uh, once per battle, at the start of your hero phase, pick an enemy hero within 12 inches and roll 2d6. Uh, if the roll is equal to or greater than the distance between the bearer and that hero, the enemy hero is infected. Subtract one from hit rolls and casting rolls for the infected hero for the rest of the battle. Wow. So, um, you stick this on, like, one of the soul renders, maybe, because he has to get up close to work properly anyway. You see the enemy general, he's, like, three inches away. Cool. Brain Barnacles. <laughs> Such a great name. Uh, I know. <laughs> <Brain barnacles. laughs> um, the, <laughs> the other one I did like, actually, was the one before it, just because I thought it was mm. quite an amusing one, which is the Disharmony Stones. Um, this uh, is a bit yeah. of a bit of a random one, because obviously it ro- involves some uh, dice rolls as well. So once per battle, at the start of your hero phase, pick up... Uh, up to two enemy heroes that are within 12 inches of the bearer. The opposing player must then choose one of the following options. So A, roll a dice for each hero picked. On a 3+, plus, that hero suffers one mortal wound. B, roll a dice for each hero picked. On a 5+, plus, that hero suffers D3 mortal wounds. Or C, each hero picked suffers D3 mortal wounds. Then roll a dice on a 4+, plus, the bearer suffers D3 mortal wounds. So again, that, especially yeah. number C, that could be... I mean, I know obviously that comes with a lot of risk because obviously... Whoever's mm. using it can end up getting damaged as well, but that could be really good as well. Like I said, if you really need oh, to finish yeah. something off, especially on a uh, to uh, get a victory point of some sort, I think that's really good as well. Yeah, uh, that's interesting because it's making your opponent do like a really difficult choice, which I really like. Mm-hmm. It's like sure, yeah, I'm. It's either basically take a little bit of damage, almost guaranteed. Take a potentially a lot more damage not so guaranteed or definitely take a fair bit of damage but have a chance to deal that back and maybe kill off the squishy cast exactly yeah yeah Mm. uh and then we have arcane artifacts which ishran can also take because they're only for wizards um my my favorite is honestly the kraken tooth yeah same here (laughs) it's yeah so again once per battle in your shooting phase pick an enemy unit within 12 inches of the bearer that's visible to them then roll a dice on a one you get none binds the kraken and your bearer takes d3 mortal wounds so it's a little risky mm-hmm. uh, on a two to five the kraken is released and the enemy unit takes d3 mortal wounds and on a six a tasty morsel pick one model in the enemy unit the model you pick is slain if it has less than 10 wounds in its wounds characteristic 
And if it has wounds characteristic of 10 or more, it takes 2d6 mortal wounds. <laughs> One in six chance, but like, oh, man. you point that at, point that at like Nagash or something and be like, you take 2d6 mortal wounds, man. <laughs> it's amazing. Because ultimately, even the 2 to yeah. 5 is decent. So the enemy unit oh, stuff yeah. is still D3 more wins. So really, it's a, mm. you've got only a one in six chance of it being really bad. And then... And one in know. six of it being really good. <laughs> exactly. That's a really good artifact. Mm. Yeah, definitely number yeah. one. Right. Um, awesome. And then we've got the we go. Lore of the Deeps, of which is the deep. spells. Yeah. Um, so for me, the notable one, I think... Well, there's a couple I picked. Um, was Pressure of the Deep, which is number four. Mm-hmm. Um, as a casting value of seven, if successfully cast, pick an enemy model within 12 inches of the caster that is visible to them and roll a dice. If the dice roll is greater than that model's wounds characteristic, it is slain. So yeah, that can be good. That is, um, that's like Marathi's gaze, where it's like, I need to pick out this key command yeah. model out of a unit before I fight it. It's really great like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was one that I really liked. Um, it was no, that was the last one. Of course, it was it was Arcane Corrasion, Corrasion, um, which is basically it's like um, I don't know if you know about these, but the Forge World Dreadnoughts get something called a Sea Beam Cannon, which does more damage the further the target away is. Okay, no, no, I didn't know. Yeah, and it's like, uh, if they're within 12 inches, the target takes a mortal wound. If they're between 12 and 24, they take two mortal wounds. If it's 24 to 36, they take three. And if it's 36 to 48, it takes four. So, like, Age of Sigmar is about hero sniping. You put you put <laughs> Ishran all the way up on top of the board. They can see to the other end of the board. It's like, oh, I see that commander. Bang. Four mortal wounds that they cast on a six. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, that's quite yeah. cool. It's pretty funny. Um, and then we have something very unique to the Deepkin, actually, yes. which is uh, Isharan Rituals. Um, so, basically, at the start of a hero phase, you pick... You can only do this once per pay, uh, perform one per phase. You pick an Isharan hero that's more than nine inches away from enemy models. Uh, you roll a 2d6. You add one if they're within one inch of a Gloomtide shipwreck, so they're special terrain piece. And you add another one if they're also a priest. You can also add one for each other friendly Ishran hero within three inches. And if they're a priest, you add two for them instead. Uh, basically, on a 10 plus total, uh, the ritual is performed and you pick one of three effects, which is, they're, they're pretty good. Uh, ritual of Erosion, uh, enemy units do not get cover for, until your next hero phase, which is That's really, really good. good. Yeah. No cover at all, entire board, which is crazy. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, um, there's the Ritual Arousing for Eidolons, which is you heal one wound allocated to each friendly Eidolon on the battlefield, and they can re-roll failed hidden casting rolls until your next hero phase. Fantastic. Nice. nice. And Ritual of the Tempest, until your next hero phase, enemy models can't fly. Hmm. What was that, Karadron Overlords? Uh- <laughs> <laughs> you get back now. <laughs> uh, you land that ship, Sonny. <laughs> <laughs> No, yeah. they're, they're good. That's a good bit of flexibility as well, because they're all three very different uh, effects you can use. That's cool. Yeah, they can, they can do a lot in the hero phase between command abilities, magic, and <laughs> and uh, <laughs> rituals. There's a lot. There's a lot of choice to do. Mm. Um, after that, we have the Gloomtide Shipwreck, which we just mentioned. It's their special terrain piece. 
which is really cool. Uh, I really like the model. What do you? What about you? Oh, I love it. I think it's great because it, I like the fact yeah. as well is it can be used as two different pieces or one large piece. And mm. I've seen people on online already starting to convert this to some really cool little combinations. Oh, yeah. You know, like I said yeah. you can. Yeah, you can go to town with this as well. Yeah, I, I, I yeah. really like it. And like I said earlier, I think any any terrain that's got its own rules and situations, I think is really cool. It just mixes things up, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, I did really like that, that first reveal for it. This was like the first thing of the Ideneth revealed. It was this really weird tease. Yeah, I And remember. it was just, they, they put one of these in a fish tank. <laughs> oh, Games Workshop. <laughs> yeah, all their, all their interesting things. Um, but yeah, it's got it's got a couple of rules. So you can either place it as one large piece or split it and place it as two small pieces. Uh, while your Ideneth Deepkins are wholly within six inches of the terrain feature, uh, they roll a they roll a dice every time they take a wound, and on a six they ignore it as a, like a little fish jumps out in front of the arrow or whatever. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, it takes the hit. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and then at the start of your hero phase for any enemy for any not any enemy but for any non ideneth deepkin unit within three inches of the train feature you roll a dice and on a four up they take one model wound and on a six up they take d3 model wounds as the nice. it's it's sort of like a mix of control and sustain terrain like you place it somewhere where you want to know that you can control that zone yeah totally well. agree mm, it's awesome and cost zero points get one comes with yeah. the army <laughs> do it <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh, right, and then we man. touch upon the enclaves now as well. Yeah, sort of yeah, their unique ahead. rules, which is cool. Right, so we got the iron rack, uh, which uh, they got. Right, so their abilities are so you got their strong in magic, uh, which basically adds one to casting and unbinding rolls for iron rack wizards. Um, mm-hmm. And you, from a war scroll battalion point of view, the iron rack royal council, which is touched upon later, conclude up mm-hmm. to two tide casters and two soul scryers. Right, so their command trait, uh, an Iron Rack general must have this command trait instead of obviously the ones that were already spoken about. It's called the Emissary of the Deeper Places. Uh, so allied units in an Iron Rack army are treated as having the Tides of Death battle trait and therefore can use abilities from the Tides of Death oh, yeah. table each battle round. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Pair them with Daughters of Cain. You've got Daughters of Cain in cover, running faster, everything like that. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> that's really cool yeah yeah right um yep do you want to do the next one yep uh next is dom Hain. uh so they are savage fighters uh so achillean and namada units that made a charge can re-roll hits of one which is great cool uh they have a second ability so they don't get a command trait but they get a second one called deep questers so achillean's targeting monsters can re-roll all failed wounds which is great against like ogre uh i can't say ogre kingdoms anymore i don't know what they're called now beast claw raiders and <laughs> beast stuff claw like raiders, that. yeah 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 and they're for war scroll battalions their achillean core can include up to six units of achillean guard so they can really lay on the eel mm. riders mm. uh right so next is thulhan and they have uh, their ability is revel in slaughter uh you can re-roll Hit rolls of one for the units. Uh, they're affected by the flood tide ability from the tides of death table. Uh, in addition, when a unit would be affected by the ebb tide ability from the table, uh, they are instead affected by the flood tide ability from the same table. Which uh. is 
awesome. So instead of getting to retreat and still charge and shoot, they just get to run and charge and shoot all the time. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Which sort of, again, fits their uh, lore quite well. Mm. Um, And they've also got fiercest of creatures in the combat phase, re-roll wound rolls of one for their mounts. Nice. Nice. Always good. (laughs) And their uh, War Scroll Battalions, their Phalanx, can include up to six Achillean cores. So, yeah. Nice. Very nice. Uh, then we have Morphan. Uh, so they are soul magic addicts. When a when a Morphan soul render uses their lure light ability, add three to the number of models that are returned. Nice. So we get to this in soul render, but basically they can bring Namadi back. It's usually just D three plus however many they killed. Uh, these guys can add. These guys can bring back D three plus three plus however many they killed in the previous turn, which is that is awesome. great. Yeah. Uh, their war scrolls, they, their Namati core can include up to six units of thralls, which is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, even more of them. And any tide casters, no freezing mists instead of a spell from Lord of the Deeps. So we're getting a bunch of extra spells in this book. Yeah. Lord of the Deeps too. Uh, so freezing mists, cast them a six. You pick an enemy unit within 12 that is visible to the caster. Until your next hero phase, that unit can only move one inch when it piles in, and any abilities that would increase its pile-in move are ignored. <laughs> so, like, Sisters sisters of Slaughter for Daughter of Sokane can't pile in six inches. Yeah. Which is... Get back. Pretty good. Uh, right. Yeah. Uh, next is the uh, uh, Nautilar, and their abilities is Consummate Defenders. Uh, you can re-roll failed hit rolls for Nautilar units in the combat phase if the target made a charge move in the same turn. Happy days. Mm-hmm. Uh, War Scroll so Bata- that's, that's interesting because if you get charged, you get that bonus, not the other way around, which is really interesting. Yeah, that's cool. Um, <laughs> you got the yeah their War Scroll Battalions is they can include up to two uh, Leviathans. Which is always good. <laughs> Two battering rams. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, from a magic cool. point of view, their Tidecasters know the protective barrier spell, uh, which is has casting value of four. It's successfully cast. Pick a friendly unit within uh, 12 inches of the caster that's visible into a next hero phase. Worsen the rend characteristic of attacks that, atta- that target that unit by one to a minimum of hyphen. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Basically, you're not, you're not losing your save as easily, which is nope. awesome. That is really cool. That makes them, they're, yeah, really tough, actually. Oh, they, mm. they are really good defensive. Yeah. Like, like, again, these guys would put choke points with the Gloom Tide shipwrecks and then just mm. sit there and wait. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and then we have Briomdar. Uh, they they have Supreme Soul Scryers. So if a Briomdar Soul Scryer uses the Finder of Ways ability, uh, they can take up to three friendly units instead of two. And in addition, you can set up the units that join the Soul Scryer wholly within 18 inches of them instead of wholly within 12 inches. So the Soul Scryer lets you teleport units around. You can take an extra unit and you can put them six inches further away when you do it, which is awesome. Nice. Yeah, and they also have Unstoppable Raiders. Briondar units, so this applies to all the units for Briondar, uh, that they that cannot normally fly ignore terrain features when they move as if they could fly but it doesn't let them ignore enemy models when they move, mm-hmm. which is really cool. Yes, so it's like just the idea of all these Namati f- like swimming through the air. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's because I think in their lore, they can, they've, they're quite agile compared to the other ones, aren't they? They're used to mm. sort of jumping over yeah. walls and forests and things like that. So yeah, makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. And they really like their Namati. Their Namati core can include up to six units of Reavers. Nice. So they're really focused on that short range raiding firepower. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And uh, then we have 
three, I believe, battle plans for yep. sort of unique Ideneth games to play, which is cool. Uh, we have Path to Glory, which is good again. Uh, they look interesting, even though they're pretty limited in what they can take. There's not yep. that many units, but there's some cool stuff there. And that's like most of the forces, and, though. Yeah, yeah, and they've got their own unique Path to Glory battle plan as well, which mm-hmm. is cool. Which actually segments out the board as though it were a ship, which I think is interesting. Yep. So it's basically them attacking ship. We've got some tactics pages, getting mm-hmm. some allies in there. It's like, well, here's the tactics for all the different enclaves and things. There we go. <laughs> some war scrolls. So let's start off with the Deepkin Royal Council. Yes. So this is a unit of an Achillean King, a Tidecaster, and a Soul Scribe. And they get the command ability, give them no respite. So you can use this command ability in your hero phase if the Achillean King is your general and the Tidecaster and Soulscryer from the battalion are within three inches of them. If you do so, pick up to three friendly Ideneth Deepkin units that are wholly within 12 inches of your general. Add three inches to the move characteristic of the units you pick until your next hero phase. Nice. So, yeah. go. Go very fast. <laughs> go, Namatis, <laughs> go! <laughs> mm. Right. Um, next one is the Achillean Core. Uh, which is uh, a Leviathan, uh, two to four units of, of Achillean Guard, and one to two units of Achillean Alloplexes, and their ability is Pulsing Rhythm of the Drums. Do, 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 do. Uh, once per phase, <laughs> <laughs> thought I'd put that in there. Uh, once per phase, yeah. you can reroll one hit, wound, save, run, or charge roll for one unit from this battalion that is wholly within 12 inches of the uh, Achillean Leviathan from this battalion when the reroll is made. That's good. That could be, I know it's situational, but that could really get you out yeah. of the moment. Hmm. It feels uh, feels like the Salamander's buff in 40k, which you, know, you get to re-roll one or two things per phase. Yeah, absolutely. Nice. Uh, then we have the Namati Core. So it's a soul render, two to six units of thralls, and two to four units of reavers. And they have the ability Soul Bond. So if the soul render from this battalion uses their Lualite ability on a Namati unit from the battalion... The D3 roll to determine how many models are returned is treated as being a roll of three. No need to roll the dice. Wow. That's pretty good. Nice. Uh, pair that with, uh, was it Morphan, I believe? Yes, Morphan, yeah. Yeah, Where they can bring pair them that back. with Morphan and yep. watch, watch, the, watch those minimum of six Namadi come back each turn. <laughs> <laughs> that is really cool. Um, yeah. Right, next one is the uh, Phalanx, uh, which is one Royal Council, two to four Achillean Core, and two to four Namati Core. And their ability is the Full Fury of the Storm. Uh, if your army has the Ideneth Deepkin Allegiance and includes this battalion, then once per battle at the start of a battle round, you can choose to use the High Tide ability from the Tides of Death table for that battle round instead of the ability that would normally be used. Nice. 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 Very Just nice. Choose to fight first. Yes. Choose to fight first. Again, that, that's pretty good. That could really sway it in your favor. Mm. Uh, and then we have the sort of the fluffy Allegiance Battalion, which is the Alliance of Wood and Sea, uh, which is a Tidecaster, two units of Achillean Guard, a unit of Thralls, a unit of Reavers, and a unit of Alopexes. And then you get to add one Branch Witch, two units of Dryads, and one Tree Lord Ancient. Uh, so you're allying with Sylvaneth, which looks quite nice, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they give, you get the ability Strength of the Eversea. So Sylvaneth units from the battalion have the Tides of Death battle trait and gain abilities from the Tides of Death table in the same manner as Ideneth Deacon units. Ah. So if you don't want to take if you don't want to take Iron Rack, but you want to ally with Sylvaneth, you can take this. Nice. 
That is very cool indeed. Mm. Pretty good. Uh, I right. think someone pointed out that uh, it's you can get more Sylvaneth into a 2,000 point list with this than you could through the ally I believe ability that. as well. Yeah, I can believe that. There's yeah. definitely more than 400 points of Sylvaneth. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Right, so now it's for the uh, the main units and all the other war scrolls. Right, so we got the um, Eidolon of Mathlan, so we got the Aspect of the Storm. Um, so they, I thought they would have more wounds than 12, I must admit. Um, well, you make, but, him, make him your general, give him plus two. Yeah, true, as, yeah, <laughs> as we spoke about earlier. Yep. Um, so yeah, armed with the Spear of Pressed Fury, the Cruel Hook, and the uh, Storm Shawl. Uh, what we got here, obviously they can fly. Um, and their abilities have got crashing upon the foe, uh, re-roll re hit rolls of one and add one to the damage characteristic for this model's uh, spear. If the model uh, made a charge move in the same turn, uh, in addition, this model can charge in the same turn that made a retreat move. Finally, heal D3 wounds allocated to this model after it made a charge move. Yeah, I'm liking that. <laughs> I was going to say. Uh, I, yeah, <laughs> I, I like the way this feels because he, like, constantly moves back and forth and back and forth yep. and erodes away units mm -hmm. which is really cool um yep. he also gets drenched with hate so re-roll wound rolls of one for friendly iron deepkin units within nine inches not wholly within just within yep so that he can really up your nomadi's damage output for example yep uh and pull into depths at the start of the combat phase you can pick an enemy hero with a wounds characteristic of less than eight within three inches of the eidolon and subtract one from hit rolls for that hero for the rest of the combat phase because he's all tangled up. Pretty <laughs> yeah. cool. Nice. And then you've got the aspect of, uh, aspect of the sea, um, which mm -hmm. abilities you've got uh, dormant energies. You can re-roll one casting roll for this model in each of your hero phases. Uh, if you do not re-roll a casting roll, then you can heal D3 wounds allocated to the, this model at the end of the hero phase instead. Again... Mm -hmm. making it nice and tough um you got yep. uh, and also you've got tranquility of the abyss which is add three to the bravery characteristic of friendly ideal deepkin units that are within nine inches of this model that's very good especially with good. with the nomatics from memory their, their bravery is not particularly high from from what i can no, remember but you can you can get it up really high between certain units in your mm. general yeah absolutely <laughs> Yeah, uh, he's also a wizard, so he can cast twice in the hero phase and unbind twice in the enemy hero phase. He knows Arcane Bolt, Mystic Shield, Cloying Sea Mists, and Tsunami of Terror, so another two spells. <laughs> Just uh, to add cloying, to the mix, cloying, yeah. yeah. Cloying Sea Mist is casting value 6. If you cast it, pick a unit within 12 inches that's visible to them. If it's an Eidneth Deepkin unit, it heals D3 wounds. Any other unit takes D3 mortal wounds, wow. which is cool. Nice. And Tsunami of Terror is casting value 7. If successfully cast, D6, pick D6 enemy units within 12 inches of the caster that are visible. Subtract one from hit rolls made for those units and one from the bravery char characteristic of those units until your next hero phase. So that mm. can affect a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and statistically, the only difference between Aspect of the Sea and Aspect of the Storm is that Aspect of the Sea has two inches less movement. He's a little slower. Yeah, which sure makes sense. Yep. He's, he still moved 10. He's still very fast. <laughs> Um, the, uh, right. the cool thing about these guys is that they don't have the table to degrade as their wounds go down. No, I noticed awesome. that. That's really good, actually. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's just they're both just really solid units. And oh, yeah. to be fair, I'd probably, if I could, I'd probably take one of each. 
if it's uh, oh definitely <laughs> the situation that's five points game it. though yeah yes <laughs> that, yeah that's the only point uh, right so next we got uh, Volturnos the uh, high king of the deep mm-hmm. uh, he can fly surprise surprise uh, yep. and right so abilities you got the uh, astral uh, sorry Astra Solus which is his sword uh, if a hit roll for the uh, Astra Astra Solus is six plus uh, that attack has a rend characteristic of minus five instead of minus one. <laughs> 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 knife through butter Oof. there ouch yeah you know yep. uh, i mean remember that's and that's a a weapon that's got five attacks three three to hit three to wound and d3 damage so yeah very nice indeed uh he's got uh the crest of the high kings uh which is add one to the bravery characteristic of friendly deepkin units that are wholly within 18 inches of this model again like we we're saying mm-hmm. increasing the bravery uh you've yep. he's also got uh the, his uh high king shield which is you can roll a dice uh if this model is affected by a spell if you do so on a three plus the spell has no effect on this model <laughs> yeah that that's is, really good. That is, that's the that's the um, um, magic swallowing shield that we mentioned earlier. Yeah, uh, the spell will still affect your other units. Just yes, not him. just not him. Yeah, <laughs> that is very good. Three plus. Oh yeah, that's good. Um, and he's got uh, first among uh, Archelians, uh, which means uh, re-roll hit rolls of one for friendly Archelian units uh, while they're wholly within eighteen inches of this model. Again, very powerful, very, very handy nice. to have. Yep. Uh, yep. Deep, uh, deep Mare Horn. Uh, re, uh, roll a dice if this model ends a charge move within one inch of any enemy units. On a two plus, the nearest enemy uh, unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. <laughs> that is really good as well. Yeah, just good on the charge. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and the command ability... Uh, which is Supreme Lord of Tides. Uh, you can use this command ability if Volturnist is your general and the high tide ability from the Tides of Death Battle applies for the battle round. If you do so, pick up to three friendly Deepkin units wholly within 18 inches of him. Uh, add one to the ca- attacks tar- Sorry again. Add one to the attacks characteristic of, me- of uh, melee weapons used by those units until your next hero phase. That is very good That's indeed. Not- it's, it's very good for when Tides of Death is happening and hmm. you... Uh- uh, high tide sorry is happening and you can manipulate that a bit uh and honestly the rest of the time you'll just use the no battle shock test for anyone within x number of inches of me that every general can use i yeah. believe which is good again for the namati so they don't run away <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true true yeah uh then we have the Achilles king who's sort of just a slightly downgraded version of volturnos to be honest mm-hmm. um they've they've got a Although they've got an interesting weapon choice, they can choose between a polearm and a greatsword. Uh, greatsword is shorter range, but one extra attack, uh, one less rend. Uh, the polearm is really cool, because three attacks, hitting on threes, wounding on threes, negative two rend, and a d3 damage. But if you charge, it is flat three damage, which is pretty good. Excellent. Yeah, uh, they can fly. They've got the deep mare horn, where if they charge and end within one inch on a two plus, the nearest enemy unit takes some model wounds. Uh, they have Achillean paragon for reroll hit rolls of one for friendly Achillean units wholly within twelve inches. So a shorter range version of Volturnos's ability. Um, they also have something he doesn't know, which is storm of blows. At the start of the combat phase, you can say that this model will draw their falchion. If you do so, subtract one from save rolls for this model in that combat phase, but this model can attack with the falchion in that combat phase. If you do not do so, this model cannot attack with the falchion in that combat phase. So basically, you can choose to put away your shield for the turn, and pull out the falchion, make an extra three attacks. Which Makes cool. sense. Yep. 
Uh, and their command ability is Lord of Tides, not Supreme Lord of Tides. Uh, you can use this if the model is your general, and the High Tide ability applies for that round. If you do so, pick a pick one friendly item that Deepkin unit wholly within 12 inches of your general. Add one to their attacks for melee weapons until that uh, until the your next hero phase. Yeah. So he's just a downgraded version of it. Cheaper yep. version of Volturnus. Yeah. Still pretty good. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> Right, so then we've got Ooh. the uh, Isharan Tidecaster. Uh, abilities, you've got the Spirit Guardians, which is the first wound allocated to this model each turn is negated. That's awesome. it. <laughs> Simple, to the point. Uh, you've got the mm. Wide Ether Sea. Uh, if this model is the general of your army, at the start of the first battle round, you can declare that the tie, uh, Tides of Death table will be reversed. If you do so, mm. the Ebb Tide ability is used in the first battle round, the High Tide ability is used in the second and so on and so on. Uh, then the four mm. ties of, of death steps are repeated in reversed order, starting with the ebb tide. That's interesting. Nice. Mm. You can switch it around so people like, yeah, turn three, he'll be in combat. And like, no, 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 turn two, I will be fighting first in combat no matter what. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is cool. Um, and from a magic point of view, Tidecast is a wizard, uh, so they can attempt to cast one spell in the hero phase and unbind one, um, and they know... Uh, Riptide, which is Riptide has a casting value of 7. If successful, pick an enemy unit within 18 inches of the caster that is visible to them until your next hero phase. Subtract 1 from hit rolls for that unit. In addition, at the start of your next hero phase, the unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. Very good indeed. Yeah, that's interesting. It's just drowning people in in clear air, as it says, which (laughs) is cool. (laughs) Yeah. Um, then we have the Soul Scryer, who are the ones that look for soul energy. Uh, I'm going to go for their missile weapon first, which is interesting, because they have a Scryfish Shoal, which is 18-inch missile weapon with 8 attacks, mm. but hitting and wounding on 5s. So mm. not many are going to get through, but it's a potential lot of output. Yep. Uh, <laughs> uh, they have the Finder of Ways ability. Uh, instead of setting up this unit on the battlefield, you can place it to one side and say that it's set up traveling the Ether Sea. If you do so, when you would uh, when you would set up another friendly item that Deepkin unit, instead of setting that unit up, you can say it is joining this model in the Ether Sea. You can take up to two units with you in this way. At the end of any of your movement phases, you can set up this model wholly within six inches of the edge of the battlefield and more than nine inches from any enemy models. Then set up any units that join this model wholly within six inches of the edge of the battlefield, wholly within 12 inches of this model, and more than nine inches away from any enemy models. It's kind of like a deep strike, slash infiltration move mm-hmm. uh, which is really interesting so you can be like and suddenly there's Namadi on your flanks all over the place what are you going to do uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then they also get a really cool ability uh, called Seeker of Souls at the start of your charge phase you can pick one enemy unit within 24 inches visible to this model if you do so you must add 3 to charge rolls for friendly Eidneth Deepkin units that are within 12 inches of that unit However, the first model to be moved from each unit that receives this modifier must finish their charge move within half an inch of that unit or their charge will fail. So it's basically targeting saying you get you can go 2d6 plus 3 inches, uh, so you're much more likely to make that longer, say, 9-inch charge, mm-hmm. but you have to charge that unit. It must be that one. Yeah. They have the good soul. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. Right, uh, next one is the uh, Isharan Soul Render, which is the guys that uh, take the souls. 
you've got uh, abilities wise you've got the lure light uh, at the end of your battle shock phase pick a friendly namati unit wholly within 12 inches of this model and roll a d3 return a number of slain models to the unit uh, picks up to the value of the roll add one to the d3 roll for each enemy model that was slain by damage caused by this model's talon hook in the combat phase of the same turn that's cool because obviously the talon hook's one that uh, where they hook enemies as they're trying to run away and the namati get stuck in and kill yeah. them so yeah. that's that works um and then you've got hangman's knot uh, at the start of the combat phase pick an enemy hero that is within three inches of this model and roll a dice subtract two from the dice roll if the near uh, sorry if the enemy hero is a monster on a four plus you can re-roll failed hit rolls for this model's talon hook for attacks that targeted uh that enemy hero in the combat phase okay. yeah so he's sort of uh, a sort of a sustain slash uh take out this small enemy hero nice and quickly kind of model which yeah. is cool. He's got a he's got a little bit of challenge. And the talent hook is only two attacks, but hitting on hitting and wounding on threes, pretty nice. Negative one rend, okay, and two damage, which is decent. Like he can he can he can fight. <laughs> <laughs> uh we have the Alopexes, who are they're big sharks and they got eight wounds to count for that. Uh that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh they can choose between they either have a harpoon launcher or a net launcher. Harpoon launcher is twenty four inch range with three shots, but only one damage per shot, and the net launcher is eighteen inches but only one shot doing three damage. Uh in melee they have barbed hooks and blades, like you said, they like putting spikes all over their sharks. Uh, <laughs> it has a bite attack and scythed fins the bite attack is nice because it's only one but hits and wounds on threes with negative two rend and a flat three damage pretty awesome Mm -hmm. uh they can fly which is yeah cool Uh, a lot of this army can fly if you hadn't pegged on by this point (laughs) uh and for abilities they have bloodthirsty predators at the start of your charge phase if this unit is within 12 inches of any enemy models that have been allocated any wounds you can reroll charge rolls for this unit in that charge phase uh, which is interesting because you don't have to be charging the wounded unit. You just have to be close enough to the wounded unit and charge anyone. Yeah, that makes sense. Which yeah. is awesome. Cool. Uh, next is Lotan, Warden of the Soul Ledgers. Um, and his abilities are uh, a catalogue of souls. Uh, add one to the bravery characteristic of friendly Ideneth Deepkin units while they are wholly within 12 inches of this model. In addition, re-roll hit rolls of one for friendly Namati units while they are wholly within 12 inches of this model. So, again, proper support yeah. unit there. Um, and other ability is writhing tentacles. Roll a dice each time you allocate a wound or mortal wound to this model. On a 5+, plus, the wound is negated. Very good, is he? Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. Uh, and he's not—he's not super bad in combat no. uh, against like light infantry. He has a ton of attacks. Yeah. He has nine attacks. Yeah. It's, <laughs> which well, is it's, crazy. It's, it's his, uh, his octopus there. Or oh, sorry, octar. I should yeah. say. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and then we get into the big boy. We Ooh. get to the leviathan. Oh yes. 16, 16 wounds and a three plus save. It's pretty <laughs> good. <laughs> uh, they got a razor shell harpoon launcher. Um. Let's see. Yeah, they have two of those. So those are both 24-inch range with three attacks. Hitting on threes, winning on threes, one damage. So putting out six shots at 24-inch range isn't bad at all. Uh, in melee, they have the Crushing Jaws, which is one attack. Um, it has an ability, Jaws of Death. Each time you make a hit roll of six plus for the mod, for the Leviathan's Crushing Jaws attack, that attack inflicts six mortal wounds instead of the normal damage. <laughs> which, yeah, I believe we talked about last yeah, week. Yeah, we did. Um, <laughs> 
Yeah, so it's Crushing Jaws starts out hitting on a 2+, plus, always wounds on a 2+, plus, negative 2 rend, and d6 damage. It's always going to be a good weapon, like the worst it gets is a 4+, plus to hit at low wounds, but that 6 is what you want. Yeah, ouch. <laughs> it's really good. Uh, they can fly, um, they've got 4 attacks with the scythe fins, which... Uh, start out doing a flat three damage as well. This thing is a melee machine, to be honest. <laughs> two, two twin pronged spear attacks, which are two damage as well, and four harpoon attacks in close combat, which is also nice. Uh, starts out a 12 inch move, gets degraded as it goes, uh, degrades damage for one of the attacks as it goes, degrades the to hit roll for the bite as it goes. Uh, but it has the Void Drum ability. Ideneth Deepkin units are treated as being in cover while they are wholly within 12 inches of any Leviathons. That's really good. So, uh, because it says wholly within 12 inches of any Leviathons, I think that might let the auras overlap. I would, sure yeah, I would, I would interpret that way. Yeah. Um, so it's awesome. Uh, it provides cover. It's got a decent shooting attack, like for siding down, like light infantry models. And then in melee, it will just eat everything. (laughs) (laughs) Which is awesome. Definitely. Right, so uh, we're on to the last few units now, which is obviously the main infantry. So we got the Achillean Morsar Guard, uh, which is the ones with the spears. Uh, So you've got, obviously they can fly. Uh, Their abilities are (laughs) biovoltaic blast. (laughs) I presume that's how you pronounce yeah. it. Uh, once per battle, at the start of a, a combat phase, uh, you can say this unit will unleash the energy stored in its vault spears. If you do so, uh, roll one dice for each model in this unit. For each three plus, pick an enemy unit within three inches of this unit. That unit suffers one mortal wound. For each six plus, the unit uh, takes uh, D3 mortal wounds instead. That can be that can really nice. pay off. Neth. And that's for each model. You can have three or more models, no upper limit. No, exactly. That could really, really do damage. Um, and also they got yeah. Wave Rider. Uh, no, so, uh, sorry. They have a max of 12. That's oh. Still oh, okay. Good. Oh, what a shame. <laughs> 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 Only the 12. Uh, yeah. And they've got Wave Riders. Uh, this unit's Vault Spears have a rend characteristic of minus two and a damage characteristic of two if this unit made a charge move earlier in the same turn. Which sort of makes sense. Really Charging their spears ready. Really good in combat. Yes, they're very good yeah. indeed. Um, and then we have the uh, we have the more defensive ones, the Ishlayan guard uh, with the swords instead of the spears. Um, they got three or more models, max twelve again. They can fly, uh, but they have biovoltaic barrier. Ignore the rend characteristic of attacks against this unit when making save rolls for this unit. In addition, this unit has a save characteristic of three plus instead of four plus if it made a charge in the same turn. Mm. They're really, they're really solidly. Defensive. Yeah, they are. These guys have fourteen inch move and four wounds each. That's what I mean. Those units, they are, they're pretty tough. Tough, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, right, mm-hmm. and let's finish this off. We'll finish with the uh, the lowest of all the casts, the Namati. Uh, mm. So we've got the Thralls. Um, you can, they can have an icon bearer. Um, and, and which means they can uh, re-roll battle shock tests for a unit of thralls, include any icon bearers. In addition, add one to the char- uh, tax characteristic of an icon bearer's uh, Lamari blade, um, and their ability is sweeping blows. Add one to the char- um, attacks characteristic of a Lamari blade if all of the attacks made with a weapon target enemy models with a wound characteristic of one. Add one to the damage characteristic instead of 
Instead, if all the attacks made with the weapon target enemy models with a wound characteristic of four or more. So, yeah, so they're yeah. really good at trying to take out other mm. yeah, low-wounded uh, infantry mm. models, basically. Or they can pile the damage on monsters. Yes. Which, like, they've got two attacks each, hitting on threes, wounding on threes with negative one rend. They mm. are pretty good in it's combat. Not mean. It's, not, it's not bad at all. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and our final unit is the Reavers. Uh, they are much faster, actually. They've got an eight-inch move instead of a six-inch move. Um, their bows have two firing versions so you can either have aimed fire at 18 inches which is one attack uh still hitting on fours and wounding on fours even though it's aimed i don't know why or you can have storm fire at nine inch range with three attacks hitting on fours wounding on fours same thing uh in melee they get two attacks each so they're not actually that bad in melee either um they're 10 or more they can have icon bearers which reroll battle shocks or add one to the attack characteristics but only for their melee weapon so less good uh they have the swift tide ability so they can reroll run rolls if they so choose which is awesome so these guys are really fast mm-hmm. um and they have fluid firing style before attacking with a whisper bow choose either the aimed fire or storm fire missile weapon characteristics so you can actually split within the unit which uh profile they use that's really good like the back ranks that are further away and out of the nine inch range can use the aimed fire into the front rank can do the storm of shots at nine inch mm-hmm. And wow. that's the book. That is. Yeah. That, at last, people are oh. saying, God, God, that's the Iden Deep Kin oh. Battle Tome. Oh, man, yeah. you just lie down after that. Uh, it's, but it hopefully <laughs> emphasizes what an awesome race these are. Like I said, from mm-hmm. a lore perspective these and the great. rules, they're really good, yeah. really interesting. I mean, I know it's <laughs> we've gone on for a while, but the, you know we've only covered sort of the highlights of most of it there's a lot more little details that you can read so like i said yeah. to you if you're yeah. not even if you're not interested in collecting these as an army get the battle tome it's so interesting and also oh, yeah. provides a lot of info there's... um i'm i think mm. it's fantastic i thought the daughters of cain were really good to read about these are <laughs> equally good to read about and in some ways yeah. even better they just got some there's oh, really yeah. interesting and i think uh like i said gw's put a lot of love into these as well they just they just they just, mm. they just feel unique um, you know, they're, they're more than just sea elves, which is what I think people yeah. just would see them yeah. as. Which is good, because, like, they feel a little Dark elderish, but, like, they've also got their really own good flavour, yep. which is great, because, well, presumably in the future have Malarion's version of elves. Yeah, the Dark Elder I'm sure. Equivalent, so. Fingers crossed. Look forward to that too. Mm. Absolutely. <laughs> um, right, yeah. So we'll Ooh. take a very much needed break <laughs> after going oh, through God, all that. Yeah. Um, and like I said, we're going to finish the show with uh, our discussion topic uh, where we're going to ask the question about uh, Lionel Johnson and uh, whether the heresy would have happened if he was made Warmaster. So we'll be back after this break. Mm-hmm. And welcome back after that very much needed break after t- talking about the Ardenet Deepkin. <laughs> Uh, we're exhausted, but not too exhausted to uh, finish up with our discussion point, uh, whereas we're going back to the 40k universe now. Uh, so we're asking the question, would the heresy have happened if Lionel Johnson was made Warmaster instead of Horus? So would there have been a uh, lion heresy, mm. <laughs> basically? <laughs> um, so as always, we'll do our thoughts on oh, yes. the th- king. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we do thoughts on yes, uh, our thoughts on no, it wouldn't have happened, and then obviously we'll come to our conclusion. So, uh, just for context, 
Uh, Lionel Johnson is the Primark of the uh, very first Space Marine Legion, which is the Dark Angels, who are a very troubled chapter, or now chapter, it was a Legion, um, who have got a lot of secrecy and uh, a lot of uh, backstory to them, which uh, we will save for another time. So, But uh, mm. like I said, Lionel Johnson is a bit of an interesting one to talk about for this because because of the deep you know heresy secrets in uh, in his chapter or legion i thought hmm, this is a perfect uh, primark to ask this question about so right so we'll uh, like i said we'll start with the yes reasons which is yes it, you know lionel johnson would have turned to chaos or you know caused a heresy um so cameron what's your very first reason Sorry, my cat's trying to eat my headphone cord. Stop that. <laughs> Heretic right there. <laughs> no, no, Lionel Johnson was a saint. <laughs> oh, no, she yanked out of my ear. Hold on. <laughs> Someone obviously didn't want to talk about this. <laughs> no. Um, my, my first yes reason is he was just as primed for it as Horace because he landed... Don't, don't hit my microphone, cat. God damn <laughs> She's she's being real bothered. Uh, he was just as prime for it as Horus because uh, he landed on Caliban, a world filled with chaos corrupted monsters. Mm. Uh, he he spent his young he spent his formative years growing up in the wilds, all these chaos creatures all over the place. He obviously obviously tainted, obviously corrupt. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a that's a fair point because obviously he's very a very secretive and paranoid. Primark, you obviously, like I said, mm. spent a lot of time in the wilderness uh, dealing with chaos. So he's had first-hand experience from a very young age mm. of chaos. Not necessarily converting to it, but obviously awareness yeah. of it. So, mm. hmm, yeah, that's a that's a very good point. Um, right, uh, my first reason. Um, spoiler alert: um, has heresy <laughs> in his legion um yeah so <laughs> one of the biggest secrets of the dark angels is the fallen so at some point during the heresy um basically lion went back to caliban and was turned upon mm. by luther which is his uh yep. sort of father figure uh for when he grew up on caliban um they were attacked by luther and his and the dark angels that were already there on caliban that he converted to chaos um mm. so my sort of point is that his, like I said, his legion is not adverse to converting to chaos and heresy. And obviously, the way I see it is that obviously the Dark Angels are using his gene seed. So if they can convert yeah. to chaos, then there's mm. no reason why the lion can't convert to chaos either. You know, there's obviously yeah, some, yeah. there's obviously a weakness in there that um, mm. that obviously nine of the other legions <laughs> took part in as well. So <laughs> that's uh, that's my first reason. Um, what's your next yeah. one? Um, I would say that the heresy would have happened, but very differently, uh, in that no one got along super well with Lionel Johnson. <laughs> yeah, true. Uh, he, ha- he, had- he had a tendency to unsettle, unnerve, and outright piss off a lot of the other Primarchs. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he, had a- he had an especially relationship with russ we shall say uh <laughs> that's one way where he nearly killed yeah. him yeah it's point where he nearly killed him in a duel which was interesting to read uh reading one of the space wolves books about that um 
Uh, yeah, uh, he he's much more divisive than Horus was. Like Horus was everyone's friend, and you know, in the end, he used that to his own benefit rather than for the benefit of the Imperium, and turned a bunch of people to his side. But Lionel Johnson might have just pissed off some of the more sort of sideline Primarchs like Perturabo, Mortarion, Angron, those kind of guys. They might have gotten so fed up with him that the Horus Heresy started, but it was just not led by Horus. It was a smaller group of Primarchs mm-hmm. rebelling against Lionel Johnson. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a fair point, actually. Because, yeah, because he, he wasn't a particularly likeable character. And he, because he, he's very, <laughs> so to speak, he's very, he's very proud. Yeah, almost too proud. He's, he's not, mm. he's not Fulgrim like in the sense that, no. you know, because obviously Fulgrim is perfection and arrogance. Whereas I suppose like the lion is arrogant, but, but not in a, mm. not in a, he's just, I think he's just so confident of himself, but not in a, I, yeah. you know, just, I, yeah. you know, he's like, look, guys, I know what I'm doing. Just trust me. I just I'm know it'll get done. You know, that's that's what he's just he's just got such supreme confidence in his yeah. abilities. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, right. So next one uh, for me is, and this is actually taken from the recent book I read, which is <laughs> Angels of Darkness. Um, so yeah. basically, uh, the main one of the two main characters, which is Astalan, um, who's been interrogated, who's one of the fallen. Yeah since spoilers mm-hmm. here um but basically yeah, he yeah. makes the point that after the, he ma- yeah sorry he makes the point that he believed that the lion was waiting for the winning side after the siege of terror mm. that ah. that he literally he was gonna you know whoever won he would go and join so whether you know so if chaos had won he would have he would have joined him obviously there's no technical proof mm. on that it's but it was just an interesting opinion that you know that his character, the, the Astalan, who's won the Fallen, even though he's obviously could be seen as being a traitor and, and therefore you disregard what yeah. he's saying, in pretty much all the whole book, everything he's saying ha- makes a lot of sense. And obviously it's something he could, you know, and he was, sorry, uh, Astalan is, from memory, is one of the uh, uh, one of the original chapter masters as well. So, mm. so he's had a, you know, he hasn't met the line very much, but he's obviously analysed him for many years and he truly believes in in a non heretic way that mm. that the lion is capable of literally you know he's that you know he's that sort of because yeah. he so wants yeah. to win at all you know improve his self at all times mm. that really he would happily join chaos if chaos had been the win inside so which is an interesting okay. that's yeah yeah possible definitely an interesting way to think about yeah, it exactly um what's your next reason uh, I'm not sure I really have any more apart from his like general orneriness and um <laughs> <laughs> and potential chaos taintedness from birth kind of kind of deal. Okay, uh, <laughs> that's, that's fine. I know it's, I've got a few. Yeah. I've got they're the main reasons I've done, but I've got a yeah. few more little ones. Um, yeah, one of the big it. one. Well, actually, this is quite a big one. Actually, he's very jealous of Horus being Warmaster. There's times throughout mm. um, the Heresy and before it, he he was really he really believes he should have been the war master i think like uh, yeah. from from what i've read that when he was when horus was announced as war master he was very that sort of like oh yeah okay then well well done horus you know that sort of where he sort of congr- you know half-assed congratulations but really he's jealous deep down that like yeah oh, i would have done a better job but oh, okay emperor you you picked horus um which you know it shows that that 
that he's got that in his character that you know because obviously jealousy is not a particularly great trait to have mm. um no. and you know so so in a sense i could see him in a way causing a heresy <laughs> which is more to prove a point as opposed to being pro chaos i.e he's just there to yeah. go look i'm the right person for this job i should have done it from the start mm. and this mm. is me um another point is he at some point he had to use psychers which was obviously after um psychers were mm. uh not to be used as per um the word the emperor but he it shows again he's happy to rebel against the emperor's wishes um yeah, yeah. you know he's and you know again it's only a small thing in the grand scheme of things but again it just shows that he won't he doesn't like being told what to do which is sort of um you know mm. can lead to heresy in some sort of ways um uh, there's also a point when he te- when uh, when he teams up with um sanguinius and gilliman um, to I think to form I think it's called the Imperial Secundus I think I can I can can't remember off the top mm. of my head but basically they team up yeah. at some point and they capture Comrade Kurz and because basically ah, him, and, yeah. him and L Johnson have had a a real sort of backwards and forwards for years and he you know Johnson's been mm. hunting him and basically there's a point where he wanted to kill Kurz they decided they weren't going to kill him then he dis then he he Johnson sort of storms off and doesn't bother and then i think basically sanguinius and Gunnar were then going to execute Kurz, but he then decides to try and save him instead um mm. which you know i get you know and i just think why would you try and save him at that point you know but considering i, yeah. I don't know i because obviously Kurz is obviously a traitor at that point anyway so i just find it a bit of a uh, I, again it's a small reason but i just mm. think it's something yeah. that he, you know yeah. he did prevent the death of a of a uh, traitor primark at that point so Mm. Um, and the last reason I've got, which is sort of a bit of a generality, is which we sort of touched upon, is that he's secretive by nature. You know, he's a very secretive and paranoid. Mm. You know, yeah. even for a job, which is obviously due to his upbringing. Um, but again, yeah. that's not a good thing necessarily in a loyalistic Primarch or Warmaster. You know, someone that's willing to hide things, um, which I suppose is what the Emperor did, really, with the you know with the warp and everything like that. So I suppose, but. Yeah, I just think it, it just puts a bit of a question mark over him that, you know, if he's willing to be secretive, yeah. then what else could he do? Um, yeah. Right. Okay. So that's the yes reasons, but let's go. What's your first no reason? Um, he knows the signs, the signs of chaos. Um, <laughs> so a, a big thing, a big thing with Horus is that he didn't know a whole lot about chaos or that he was being corrupted until it was already done. You know, like, Chaplain Erebus was just like, no, no, this is fine. Listen, the Emperor's <laughs> lying to you. <laughs> and Lionel Johnson would have been like, uh, mm, that looks that looks like that tattoo I saw on that one giant one-eyed ogre I killed as a child. Uh, no, thank you. Clearly corrupt. Yeah. Uh, off with your head. Yeah. Um, so, like, he, he, he has experience with chaos. You know, like, like I said, Caliban was home to this giant forest filled with chaos-corrupted creatures. Like, he knows the signs to look for. He knows to watch out for to not be corrupted. Clearly, he grew up there and wasn't corrupted in the end. Mm-hmm. At least not outwardly, visibly so. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a fair point. I mean, that's sort of my first reason, which is basically chaos couldn't yeah. sway him um, in in the experience that we've seen. Um, I mean, there's there's a point where the fate weaver of Sinch tries to sway him mm. and he, he doesn't even buy it at any point. And like I said, it sort of leads in from what you said, where he's, he's got quite a lot of experience when it comes to chaos. Um, that realistically, 
he's never been, there's never mm. been any point where he's been almost swayed where he's like, Oh, maybe. Yeah. Oh no, no, I won't. He's every mm. time that any, there's been any temptation, he's been very against it, which I think sort of leads into, he's almost quite a neutral Primarch in some ways that, you know, yeah, he is very loyal, yeah. but he does very dubious things at times, which make you think where he actually, I think really the only thing he cares about is himself more than, you know, mm. and, and mm. the way he comes across Again, similar to Fulgrim, but again, without the sort of need to try and prove himself all the time. It's just more that he knows he's capable of doing things. So, um, yeah, mm. like I said, Chaos mm. just couldn't sway him. Um, yeah, yeah. So what's your uh, next reason? Uh, it's because, I, I, this happens with me a lot, but my reasons for, also my reasons against, is because he's so dang fractious and ornery. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, because the thing is, a big a big part of the reason Horus turned so many of the other Primarchs is that after he was elected war, well, uh, not elected, but you know, uh, made war masters. No real election process there. Um, <laughs> after he was made war master, people like Angron and Mortarion and Paturabo were really, really mad, and Horus went to each of them individually, talked them down, slowly won them over to his side, and that sowed the seeds for those particular Primarchs mm-hmm. to turn to him. If Lionel Johnson was made War Master, the exact same thing would have happened. Those three Primarchs in particular, like a few of the other ones as well, would have been very pissed off, just because that's how they are. It's Angron, what do you expect? Um, <laughs> but the thing about Lionel Johnson is that he's not that kind of charismatic, charming figure that Horus is, mm-hmm. and he also will not hesitate to kill another Primarch for seemingly trivial reasons, like... It, it depends on the book you're reading, but uh, I read one of the more recent Space Wolves book uh, recounting the duel between L. Johnson and Russ, and he tried to kill Russ during an honor duel. Yeah. Like, he barely didn't. Yep. Um, and if he went and was talking to Angron, like, listen, mate, fall in line, I'm War Master now, and Angron got too mad or tried to attack him, he would probably just kill him, straight up. Mm-hmm. Same with Mortarion, same with Paturabo, and might have just prevented the heresy by sort of pulling out those rougher elements of the Primarchs, uh, not even intentionally, just like trying to keep order and going, well, if you won't work under me, I'm representing the Emperor right now. You're rebelling against me. You're rebelling against the Imperium. Off with your head. Yeah. Like, he had he had that kind of attitude, I feel. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. He, he does come across as being, despite having his own motives for things, I think he there's certain rules which he abides by. You know, like I said, he, he is extremely sworn to the Emperor, despite him, like I said, wanting his own means. And like I said, deep down, he, he probably did, well, he did want to be War Master. And obviously, but I don't think it's to be evil. It's just to prove that, he, no. you know, he just, like I said, it's just prove he, he's capable of doing it. Um, I mean, there's, a, I think at some point as well during, um, I think it's when they used the, I think it's when he used psychers, which I mentioned earlier. I think he he ends up killing one of his own legion over. I think it's one of his chaplains, yeah. I believe. He ends up, you know, so he, and that's you know, which could obviously, in one sense, could be seen as heresy. The fact you're killing your own um, legion, but the fact he's so, mm. you know, confident and so in principle of the way things should be, um, that you know, no, this is what the emperor wants you know, we will do what we have to, to get that thing done. If that's killing one of you, yeah. killing one of you, I'll get it done. So mm. yeah, that's, that's a fair point, which is sort of lend, lends into the next, my next couple of reasons, which is like I said, extremely sworn to the emperor. Mm. And as a, he has a real yep. hatred of traitors as well. So, oh, yeah. um, 
So yeah, I blew up Caliban. Yeah, exactly. You know, again, that's a perfect example. You know, it, it did the fact that they got fired upon when he went back to Caliban. He didn't even sort of think twice about it. And, and no. um, you know, that right, they've gone. So we'll we'll take them all out, <laughs> you know, and now we'll hunt the fallen <laughs> forever and ever, as you know, to get the uh, reputation back, um, you know. Mm. So yeah, it just it just shows that even though he's questionable, he doesn't do, <laughs> he doesn't lend mm. anything towards chaos. To be honest, no. Um, no. I mean, I mean, like one one point that often gets mentioned as well is there's a there's a bit in the history where he gives the um, the siege cannons to Perturabo, um, which is obviously mm. the wrong thing to do at that point because Perturabo no. without <laughs> yeah. is already you know a traitor, but he didn't know that at that point, but. You know, for some, I think some people look at it in the sense that that was all. Oh, you know, why is he doing that? Why is he giving cannons to traitors? That's 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 a bad thing. But ultimately, a he mm. didn't know, and b he was only again yeah. really doing it for his own benefit. I he, you know, I think his the way of thinking is, I'll give these cannons to Perturabo. We'll take out Horus. You know, if 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 mm. Perturabo wasn't a traitor at that point, take out Horus, <laughs> and then I've got Perturabo on my side when I become Warmaster. So again, it's just him looking yeah. after himself as opposed to trying to help chaos. But, yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, do you have any more reasons? Uh, no, that was I really had two big reasons for each one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a fair I, point. I, the same reasons on both sides. I really only had two big reasons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So then, to summarize, do you believe the heresy would have happened if he had been made war master? I think. It would have happened, but on a much smaller scale. I think it would have been, like, Lorgar, uh, Angron, Perturabo, maybe Mortarion, probably Horus. Like, six, maybe. Mm -hmm. Six or seven. Yep. Definitely not full nine, definitely not full on against each other. And it would have been a very small thing, because it would have started with him killing Angron or killing Perturabo. Mm -hmm. And then Horus going, you know what? Actually, fuck this. <laughs> yeah, I should have been. I should have been War Master, and I've got to protect myself because clearly I was the next best. I was the best candidate, and he's probably going to come after me. Uh. <laughs> that's a fair point. No, no, no. I think that's right. I mean, I, I think that yes, the heresy would have happened potentially, but if uh, Johnson was. Um, more master, but I don't think it would have been a chaos heresy. Mm. If you see what I mean, I think. No, I think. Yeah, it would have been ideological. Yes, exactly. I think. Yeah, he would have gone for the primarchs and legions that were displaying things like, like you know, like Angron in the World Eaters. I just think mm. the way they, mm. they, where they operate would would have go, would go against the way he thinks, and I think he wouldn't think twice yeah. about taking them out. But that's not because of, like I said, them being part of or him being part of a chaos. You know, because I don't think he can waver towards chaos. I think mm. he understands it so much that he would never submit to it. I just think he, but I don't yeah. think he's against taking out his own side in quote marks mm. for the for the greater good in a in a sense. Yeah. So I think yeah. yes, exactly. but with a caveat. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Yeah, I think I think it'd be interesting to see that version of 40k where it was not chaos versus you know, order and order in the Imperium is just, no, this was just a big bloody civil war yeah. spurred on by, you know, you put one really cantankerous guy in charge of everything mm-hmm. and that didn't brush so well with everyone else. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm, I, actually, actually, when I was looking into this, I did come across someone, uh, I can't from this quite a few years ago, someone on one of the 40K websites has actually written an alternative heresy 
um, oh, timeline awesome. with if it, if if like the lion had been made Warmaster. So I'll, I'll try and mm. I'll try and find it for you and send you the link because it's it's quite interesting. Yeah. Again, it's just pure fan fiction, yeah. but it's it's quite a good way of looking yeah. at it. Um, so yeah, so that's uh, this week's discussion point. Um, awesome. and been a very long episode. <laughs> so, uh, oh, yeah. so, uh, we'll get let's this, wrap up. let's wrap it up. Yes. <laughs> People are like, come on, stop talking. So, uh, yeah, no, thanks very much for listening to this episode. It's been, been really interesting, been very exhausting, but been very <laughs> interesting. Mm. Um, so yeah, so just to, like I said, wrap up the show, um, you can find us on Twitter at Realm and Ruin. Mm. Uh, you can find us on uh, Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Realm and Ruin. Um, one thing I would say, I know I've said it the last few episodes, but um, don't be frightened to join us on our Discord server as well. As like I said, we've yeah. got some really cool yeah. things going on there. We've got some really good chats, um, people showing off what they do. And again, it's just, you know, I'll put the link in the notes. You know, if you, if it's your sort of thing, please join it because like I said, we're having some mm. really good uh, conversations in there and it's just, we're getting quite a nice little, cool little community in there. Um, uh, if you've got spare few minutes, um, if you're happy to give us a, an iTunes review, that'd be really appreciated five star if mm-hmm. if possible please uh <laughs> or whatever you feel we're worth but no we've had some really nice reviews uh in the last sort of few weeks as well and it's you know it's it's just really nice to hear uh you know what you guys are saying yeah. and shows that we're doing it's- something right <laughs> yeah i'm glad to hear that i'm an important accessory to the podcast. <laughs> yeah yeah that was one of my <laughs> there was uh I won't, I won't name names but there was a really good uh nice review that we had which um appreciated um cameron's nationality um <laughs> in australia <laughs> brilliant that was oh that was brilliant um and also one thing i would say as well is we've had a few requests for people that want to guest on the show as well and we're in talks with them and trying to make uh, arrangements mm-hmm. and such like so there's a chance as well as doing our main sort of two you know episode every two weeks we're going to do a couple of extra ones yeah. here and there um and like i said if you do would like to guest on this show and you know and talk about something on here we're more than welcome to have you um so if you if you do just you know get in touch with us either on the facebook on the twitter or like I said, if you go to our website realmandruin.com slash contact i believe or the contact page you know just send us a message say yeah i'd would, I would love to join and we'll you know we'll get in touch and we'll we'll try and make it happen um i think that's it um so where can people yeah. find you on the internet cameron uh, you can find me on Twitter at night underscore twitten. Uh, I don't tweet about anything in particular. I'll probably yell something non-spoilerish about Infinity War tomorrow. So. <laughs> Be warned. No, <laughs> mm. oh, so many non-spoilers. Like, ah, there was infinite of it. Well, how many wars do you want, Marvel? <laughs> yeah, that's the hard-hitting details. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you can find me on Twitter as well, at NinjaBadger7, the number 7. So f- feel free to talk. Um, and like I said, feel free to contact us about anything in general anything you would like to hear in the future any future subjects where i said we're always welcome to hear them because mm. at the moment we just do what we feel we want to talk about <laughs> what's out in the news yeah. um so yeah no, again thank you very much for anyone that's been supporting this podcast so far because mm. like i said we've we've got a really nice lot of listeners out there and we do really appreciate it um and yeah so we'll sign off now um thank you very much for listening this has been realm and ruin episode five and we'll mm-hmm. catch you on the next show Bye. Yeah. Bye-bye.